This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18+, plus. rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, fueled by Guinness, powered by Celery, the show that is hailing Wee King Billy. Now, what looked on paper to be a very tough week was in fact rather easy. Liverpool were dispatched in the FA Cup with an excellent attacking and defensive display, and Everton, not for the first time at Stamford Bridge, were put to the sword. Uh, The common denominator in all this were the Cup and League debuts of Billy Gilmore. He may be small in stature and young in years, but he put in two dominant midfield displays, picking up the Man of the Match awards in both and showed maturity way beyond his 18 years of age. Let's not go overboard, but he does seem to be a rare talent and could just be the answer to the Chelsea midfield issues, both in attack and defence. And talking of the defence, it should be noted that these two matches saw the return of Kepa Arethabalaga, who looked assured in keeping two clean sheets in a row. It's not often we've been able to say that this season, and it's not often we get the chance to beat the Red and Blue Scousers in the space of a week. So therefore, the title of the show tonight has to be Mersey Beaten, the Chelsea Fancast 495. Uh, Now, uh, the... uh, the keener listeners among you will notice that we haven't been interrupted by Jonathan Kidd yet, which of course is about as rare as hen's teeth, or rocking horse shit if you prefer. Uh, and I should explain myself here because uh, he did actually uh, blow us out last week because he, ha- he had some function uh, lords tonight at so the, the cricket ground. He likes, likes to have a net there and that kind of thing. Uh, so of course I, I, I got uh, the first guest I'm going to introduce in as his sub. And... Uh, Funnily enough, Joe, I was talking to uh, Darren Mantle this weekend because I went up to uh, to Paul Jeffrey, Pablo's wedding up in Glasgow, and of course Darren was there, and uh, he he mentioned you in dispatches, and he said, "Ah, yes, no lesser man than Joe Tweeds," and it brought back wonderful memories of uh, <laughs> those days when Darren would just annoy you, really, I suppose. But anyway, how are you? 
yeah, I'm uh, I'm good. Much much better than I was earlier in the year. But yeah, glad to be on tonight. Well, that's right. We did miss you uh, when we we almost had you on, but you weren't very well. Good to hear that you're back fighting fit. So there you go. So Joe, not often that Joe Tweeds can say that he is a substitute for Jonathan Kidd, but there you go. He is indeed. Uh, Anyway, I mean, I could have had Jonathan on tonight, but frankly, I'm too tired and it's just chaos with four people on. So, uh, Jonathan, apologies. I'll give you a big hug, uh, coronavirus permitting on Friday. Now, uh, the uh, the the person who was all, always scheduled to be on tonight, because uh, believe it or not, there is some planning that goes into these shows, is uh, my old mucker, Mr. Clayton Beerman. Hello. How are you, dear boy? I'm very well, thank you very much. Uh, really looking forward to tonight. Uh, listening, sitting back and letting Joe talk for the whole two hours. But, well, um, yes, you know, I, I will try and seem mildly um, involved <laughs> at, at, at certain stages. Well, you know, in true kind of uh, life of uh, Brian, uh, it, Brianness, you rank higher than both me and Joe tonight because I suspect you were probably the only one that was at the game. I was at both games, yes, indeed. indeed. And uh, how about this? This is also as rare as hen's teeth. I was at neither. Yeah, no, I, it, was, it was really weird, actually, because on Sunday I looked up and I thought, where are you? And then I thought, ah, you're in Scotland. That's yeah. right. I know uh, you have great difficulty in getting to the midweek games now, but, um, yeah, no, Sunday was they – were, they were both really good and the atmosphere was really good. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, obviously, I, I, I did watch the uh, the game back on the on the TiVo when I got in last night, and uh, obviously I watched it on the box on Tuesday. Um, annoyingly, actually, I I had been offered a ticket for the Liverpool game, and I was all up for going, and then uh, – and then I was actually offered it from uh, the good people at Hyundai, would you believe? Uh, and then they uh, they decided to do something else, which, funnily enough, will feature in this show tonight. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. Anyway, on the show tonight, uh, we applaud a great midfield performance from Gilmore, Barkley and Mount against Everton. Should Gilmore be a regular from now on? And has Barkley turned a corner? And in part two, with Chelsea keeping a clean sheet, is Kepper back for good? How delightful that we got Clayton on the show uh, uh, tonight when we're going to be Bigging up Kepper and being lovely about him. I know that Clayton will approve of that. Uh, now, the old guard uh, rolled back the years uh, with the... But, uh, you know, that's you know what I mean by the old guard. Giroud, William and Pedro, whose, uh, you know, collective age is uh, almost as old as me. Anyway, they were up front and they rolled back the years. But with Chelsea unlikely to offer William a three-year contract, will he be off with Giroud and Pedro come the summer? And talking of contracts... What's going on with Tammy Abraham? Uh, a question I'm asking, not least, because uh, I saw Joe's wonderful tweet thread about this uh, the other day, so I know he can speak with some authority on that. Uh, and in part three, uh, we're going to look back at the Chelsea-Liverpool FA Cup match. And uh, as I mentioned a minute ago, we've got an interview with Joe Carver, who was invited to the match by Hyundai to celebrate 150 115 even years of Chelsea and he got to bring three generations of his family along which is quite something so uh, uh, in the podcast version you'll hear that interview in its entirety so there you go now to wrap up in part four as ever we've got some cracking emails to read out Um, but sadly not from Jonathan but uh, Clayton and I will and maybe even Joe but Clayton and I will do our best to uh, uh, replace the irreplaceable which of course is Jonathan uh, Kidd and of course if Jonathan is listening tonight we're sending you huge love and hugs and uh, look for well I look forward to seeing you on Friday when we're back on the Love Sport Radio show there you go now don't forget you can listen to the show live every Monday at 7 o'clock by going to Mixler which is M-I-X-L-R dot com forward slash Chelsea hyphen fancast where of course you can join in the chat 
by posting on the live chat page, as so many of you are tonight. Goodness me, we've got a good mob in tonight. Blimey. Mobbed, mobbed out. Who have we got? Uh, Matt Kalita, the lovely Bob Uzre, Emilio Estevez, Andy Silverman. Uh, Andy, how are you, dear boy? Lovely to see you in here. I hope you're doing all right, mate. It was, uh, uh, I haven't seen you for ages, but I saw your tweets of the day, and I'm sending you out massive good vibes. Disco Donny, Benji Toe, many, 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 many more as well. Lovely to have you all in here. Right, okay. Um, of course, you can always tweet us anytime you like, at Chelsea Fancast. Uh, tell us what you think about the games or anything, any suggestions for the show, whatever you want. You might even get a reply. Anyway, after this very, very short break, we'll be talking about the football. Chelsea Everton. Um, I mean, interestingly enough, we we have a really really good uh, recent record against Everton at home. So, um, I mean, I, I I was thinking it might be quite a tough match actually uh, before Saturday. Uh, maybe I'm just getting a bit nervous as uh, the run in and the the you know the top four positions are in play and all of that. But uh, and as I said, I I, I missed it because I was gallivanting around the Highlands of Scotland at the time, having been at Pablo's wedding. And I was on my way to my second distillery uh, when I, I got an alert, bizarrely, on my phone that Giroud had scored to make it 4-0. So I was rather happy as well as drunk, which is always good. Um, anyway, I got home, watched the game last night. And I have to stay, say, uh, Clayton, another standout performance from Billy Gilmore. But I have to say, I think the, the, it was a standout performance from the entire midfield, really. I thought Mount, Barkley and Gilmore were all fantastic uh, Mount and Barkley both scored, of course, and Gilmore ran the show, didn't he? Yeah, no, it was. Um, it, 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 you said about um, not sort of being quite nervous. Uh, I, I mean, I went with uh, the boy, and um, we both predicted a draw. I couldn't honestly see because we're so unpredictable. Um, I couldn't honestly see us winning. I thought Everton would give us a hell of a lot more of a battle than they did. Um, I think. We can sort of, you know, when we say sometimes we ignore the opposition um, when we look at ourselves. Well, I don't think we can ignore the opposition this time because they were they were woeful. I mean, they were they were they were awful. As much as they were on us at Goodison, they were virtually the complete opposite. That being said, um, <laughs> we played plenty of crap teams this season and not done what we did on Sunday. Um, Billy Gilmore was fantastic. Ross Barkley was fantastic. Mason Mount was fantastic. Um, the whole team played well. Um, but yeah, I mean, our, our midfield stood out um, because we seemed to be playing the sort of football that we were playing at the beginning of the season. There was a lot of speed. There was a lot of energy. Um, I think Gilmore is a, a great talent. I mean, Joe knows a lot more about me, but... Um, from what I've seen, he looks fantastic. I mean, the one thing I think I said on on the fan cast um, at the beginning of the season was the fact that when you when these kids come in, they all look like they can play football. Now, I'm not 
that sounds like a fairly obvious statement, but they all look comfortable. Got they good technique, look, haven't they? Yeah, they don't look overawed. The, the coaching that they've received in the academy has obviously been fantastic. So you, so you have that, and and I know that we're we're going to sort of veer on to the whole Jorginho slash Gilmore argument, but there is no doubt that the reason in, why in the last two games that we've looked so much better is because the ball has been moved so much quicker and forward as well. Um, but, you know, that's not having a go at Jorginho. I think it's just a fact the way that we play is, is quicker if Gilmore is there. But, um, you know, it's it's two games and it's great. It's absolutely great. Yeah, it, it certainly is. And he <clears throat> he certainly looks a class apart. I mean, what I love about him, Joe, is the fact that, uh, I mean, I've been moaning about this for a long time. I, I, most of my moans have longevity about them. Um, but one of them has been that we, we haven't had any what I would call bite in midfield for far too long. Um, and what I like about Gilmore, Joe, is the fact that apart from, as, as Clayton said, he's clearly got great technique and he's very mobile, athletic, moves the ball forward, always looking to pass forward, which is lovely. But he can stick his foot in. And there was a lovely moment where he, he lost the ball. And, and how many times have we seen Chelsea's midfielders do that in recent history? But he ran all the way back and doggedly won it back. And that is what we need in a midfield, I think, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I think certainly uh, in the Liverpool game as well, you can see the the just the, the general kind of difference in tone and sort of what it gives to the midfield. And I think it gives people around, um, kind of around him as well, a lot more confidence in terms of just general defensive ability. And I think, again, certainly for me, one of the biggest knocks for Jorginho is despite you see all of these, uh, you know, kind of graphics posted around social media about, you know, all these sort of defensive um, kind of metrics that he's he's very good in, but a lot of it is is you know jumping out of position, which is something that Pep Guardiola said that he would exploit whenever he played Chelsea and Jorginho. He like openly said it in public that you know we know that he jumps out and we can play we can effectively just play triangles around him. So you know lots of interceptions and things like that. But but it, for me they're often not in the right areas. Which for you know for someone who's playing in that position, I prefer where Gilmore was. You know actually screening the back four, making tackles, making challenges outside. You know the penalty area in front of his two centre backs, not you know 50 meters up the pitch. Which again, you know that's kind of Jorginho's game, and that's sort of what he's built his his reputation on. But in terms of kind of the the sort of benefits to the team, in terms of solidity and structure, certainly Gilmore's ability to screen the back four, his ability to go into challenges. I mean, there were two challenges I think in the Liverpool game where he he flew in like kind of the, you know it, it looked like it was Dennis Wise, you know, kind of a small guy flying into to two challenges. And I remember really after the game. You know, he was talking with Jason Cundy and the guys in, on Chelsea TV. And, you know, when they asked him about it, you could see like he was smiling. That he, he kind of relishes that side of the game, which I think, you know, you can have have all the technical ability and have all the wonderful, like be wonderfully aesthetic and, and have all this sort of great flair about you. But in the Premier League and certainly English football, you know, it's it's not this kind of draconian opinion that you need to have a little bit of bite and a, and a little bit of backbone. And you can see that someone who clearly has modelled his game on Cesc Fabregas, who has modelled his game on, on those sorts of midfielders in the Asa Xavi, the names that he, he mentions when he talks about people who have influenced him. But he's very much a boy from Glasgow who's grown up playing in midfield where you have to be able to compete, first of all, before you can start dominating the game. And I think you see that mentality when he plays. You know, he wants to earn the right physically. You know, he's not the biggest, but he wants to earn the right physically to win his tackles, to win the ball, to, to do his defensive duties before he starts playing. And I think that's such a massive, massive advantage to her. Uh, to what we've seen throughout the season. And, and certainly, you know, the past two games, 
I think the clean sheet, a lot of it comes in the structure that we've seen from midfield and the, the security that, that he um, has kind of brought into that position. I totally, totally agree. I mean, Clayton, I, I you know, uh, I wrote uh, my Football London piece last week was very much uh, built around Billy Gilmore. Uh, very annoyingly, they haven't published it yet. Um, bottom not, line not, is, what? Not not like it wouldn't be topical at the moment. Well, I know, I know. And I, <laughs> I, I had to do it in such a hurry to before I went up to Glasgow. Uh, and of course, I, I had to drive up there in the end because, of course, Fly B went down. So it was a bit of a nightmare. But anyway, the thrust of my argument was is that, um, number one, kind of really what you were both saying, you know, I think he really does solve a problem both in attack and defence because he's moving the ball forward quickly and always looking to move the ball forward and at speed, which is great. But... Um, Unlike a lot of the other combinations that we've used recently, and I'm and I'm not I'm not here to uh, stick the boot into Jorginho because I think Jorginho, in his own way, is a fabulous player. But what happens with a lot of Chelsea's midfielders, Jorginho, Barkley, uh, Kovacic, you name it, if they lose the ball high up the pitch, they leave whopping great big gaps for teams to exploit because they don't get back quickly enough. And it seems to me that. You know, okay, as we said a minute ago, if Billy Gilmore does lose the ball, he does get back. But I mean, I think he's just a much more natural shielder of the defence anyway. So it's no accident to me that uh, we looked a lot more solid defensively because our defence were not being as exposed as they have been recently. But the other thing, Clayton, and and you might enjoy this in some ways, uh, maybe not in others, but do you know who he reminds me of? He reminds me of Billy, Billy Bremner. Yeah, it's a good shout, actually. I, th- I thought you were going to go more close to home. I was going to say Ian Britton. Cause, uh, That's also a good shout. That's also a good shout. Yeah. Uh, uh, Ian Britton and Billy Bremner did, didn't have the touch, but they had that. Well, that I don't spotted. know. I, no, I disagree. Billy, Billy yeah. Bremner had great touch, and he was good going I, forward he, as well. The only thing he touched was other people. <laughs> and, and I mean, I, I mean that, that sounds super it, inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, in a Joe Marler sort of a way, um, you know, he, he was always putting his foot in. But I mean, yes, I, I suppose the fact that dirty leads were dirty leads, you actually didn't. Rec- I mean, they were a fantastic football side yeah. when they stopped kicking people and cheating. They were fantastic. But no, I, I, I think you're quite right. I, I, what, what's quite interesting is um, and we can move on to Ross Barkley at the moment, is that a lot of what you say about protecting the defence is is so true and you have to think that that Gilmore's actually doing when he moved back on on Sunday um, when Rhys James came on it was quite interesting because he was playing like N'Golo Kante was playing he was basically breaking things up and paying short passes and all this that and the other but what I uh, when I look at Ross Barkley and, and this is sort of you know he is the epitome of frustration. I, you know, he, he basically lumbers around the pitch. I'm not talking about the last two games, but he, he has this tendency to lumber. And when we lose the ball, there's not much chasing back. But in that midfield on Sunday, he was chasing back and he was doing a lot more work. Now, whether it was because we were playing Everton or whether he's now beginning to find his mojo, only time will tell. But yeah, no, I, I, I think the team... Everything works for the team on Sunday. You know, I, I, I've got this theory that I don't actually think that Frank Lampard's a particularly lucky manager. And 
I think he has done brilliantly on so many levels. And one of the levels I think he's done really well is the fact that he's had no luck this year. Our injuries have just been horrendous. I think we've, we've been on the wrong end of some really shitty VAR decisions. And I think, you know, in the transfer window, we couldn't get anybody in. And I just think he hasn't had a lot of luck. But what I did think on Sunday was that when... Um, Everton missed that really good chance at the end of the the first half. I thought maybe his luck's turning. Mm. It's a good point, actually. We have, I think, we have had some rotten luck this season. Um, here's the thing: Billy Gilmore, uh, you know, two matches, two man of the match awards. I mean, that that's unheard of, you know, from where I'm sitting. Joe, should he be a regular from now on, or or are we going a little bit overboard here? I think if. If we believe what Lampard has done throughout the season, and I think maybe he's he's the first manager that has generally picked based on merit, then I think he has to be. Um, you know, a lot a lot of people are going overboard, and then you get the sort of the counter side where you know people are, oh, you know, you can't you can't say this. He's only had two games, etc. But if you if you focus on on what you're seeing and you just treat him as any kind of regular midfielder, not that he's 18 and remove the age from the equation. You know, when you've got people like Roy Keane, who is not complimentary about anyone, completely and utterly <laughs> raving, raving about your performance, and and not because you're a young player, but because of the things you're doing and, and how you're playing, then I think if if we are adopting this this kind of strategy of of picking people on merit and not focusing on age, and he certainly has to play. Um, the 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 things that Chelsea have struggled with this season is when we play at this kind of laborious tempo where we've side to side and it, it looks pretty but we, we're not really moving the ball at pace we struggle to break teams down when they have the ability to reset in the final third and then we don't really have that creativity or spark at the moment really for people to have got that eye to pick a pass or to to do something amazing beat a couple of players like Hazard and put the ball in the top corner so what Gilmore gives you that that, that Jorginho doesn't is you look at the the second goal was a perfect example when Aspilicueta pays him the ball if that's Jorginho, I'm betting my entire you know, yearly salary that Jorginho was just pinging the ball straight back to Azpilicueta. Gilmore, <laughs> little drop of the shoulder, you know, and then people can, can look at the, the pass as being simple. But it's, it's what Clayton said earlier. It's the, the willingness and the, the confidence in his, in his ability to always want to kind of receive the ball, turn and play forward and be aggressive with his passing. So, you know, the fact that we are now playing, I think, at a much quicker tempo. You look at the goals that we scored, the, the, the passing movement was quick. It wasn't this kind of side-to-side, it was vertical. The, the balls were kind of getting between the midfielders. They were playing between the lines. They were being aggressive. When we play like that, that's when we look like the team that we were much earlier in the season until teams kind of figured out how to counter us. And I think now that certainly Gilmore, if we're looking at someone who is the, the catalyst for that style of play, the ability to break lines, the ability to play quickly, you know, even if it's a little drop of the shoulder and, and some of these little balls that he was fizzing in and, you know, just, just generally kind of his ability to, to pass the ball, then he has to play because if we go back to this sort of structure, a very structured team where it's, you know, kind of very intense possession based and and very kind of meticulous and deliberate. By the time we get to the final third, some of these games that we've lost this season have been because teams have had so much time to reset. And I think if we pay, if you play at pace, um, it kind of, it, it sort of removes some of the fact that we don't have the most creative front line or maybe our midfield isn't the most creative now because they can actually get at teams and, and score in the, in the manner that we've done for the, the goals, particularly against Everton. So on that basis alone, in terms of pace of play and tempo, I think he has to start really until, you know, he he, he kind of loses the shirt. You know, you, you go in, you play well, you earn the shirt, you play, you get two man of match balls back to back, you play against a great, a great Liverpool team. And I think a lot of people would have said a great Everton team coming into the game. And then for me, you know, 
the, the contribution he's making in terms of our, our tempo setting and just his general ability to speed the entire game up, for me, he has to play. Mm. Can't say I disagree with that. But what I would say is that, you know, it wasn't all about Billy Gilmore. I, I, I actually think it was very interesting to see that that midfield combination. I mean, I love Mason Mount and, and I, I cannot for the life of me, Clayton, understand the grief that he gets because I think he's so fundamental to, to, to what Frank wants to do and his energy and his dynamism are, are just superb. And it was, super, it was great to see him back on the score sheet with an excellent goal. Uh, very shortly after, he had a chance which would have been an even better goal. Um, but I thought it was Barkley who also impressed. I think, again, you know, with, with, with somebody like Billy Gilmore in the side, you know, giving Barkley a little bit more licence to, 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 you know, give the ball away occasionally, as he is prone to do. I just thought he looked so much more confident. He looked so much more like the player that, you know, he used to be at Everton. And, and, and I, I think he was equally good, actually, against Liverpool on Tuesday as well. Um, has he, is he finally proving that he can do it for Chelsea? Or was it just that weird kind of circumstance between the fact that you had the right midfield combination working together really well? A uh, combination of two. I don't think that um, from what I've seen of Ross Barkley over the last two seasons, I don't think that you can say he's anything. Um, he's had two fantastic games. I think we've said ad nauseum on the Love Sports Show and what have you that you can tell there is a fantastic player in there. Yeah. And, and, and that is a frustration, you know, because... You think when when you see him do certain things, you go wow, and then he's rubbish. For I mean, he was he was absolutely hopeless against Bayern Munich. You know, he he I don't know what he was on. I know that the whole team got bossed, but he was just he couldn't trap a bag of cement against Bayern Munich. Um, and against Liverpool, he started to to get into his own. But I mean, as as is with most football fans, I spent the whole night moaning at him because I, I wasn't happy with what he was doing until he ran 50 yards and smacked the ball in the back of the net. And the guy in front of me turned around and went, you're going to shut up now. <laughs> fair play. Which I, I said, no, that, 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 that's fair enough. And then five minutes later, he passed the ball to the linesman. So, but we, we know he's got that talent. I mean, I don't think I, I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that he's probably the most gifted um, midfield player or could be since Gascoigne in the way he plays. His, his whole game is very Gascoigne-like. And it's interesting that if you think about when he played against Tottenham, um, we'll skip over Bayern, but he's playing further forward. He's playing like an auxiliary striker. Yeah. And that is obviously... Um, what he wants to do or, or, or what his best position is. It, it's, I'd love to say, yes, he's, he's now done it and he's whatever, obviously playing against Everton who were giving him dog's abuse and have done every time we've played them, um, gave him that extra bit of spark to say, you know, up yours. Um, and interestingly, he did go over to their fans. There was only about eight of them left at the end of the game and applauded them. Um, so, whether he's making a point, I don't know. Um, and thanks for saying what you said about um, Mason Mount. I think anybody who gives him grief um, and is not a proper fan, to be perfectly honest, because 
or they just don't understand what they're watching. And I, I don't mean that in a condescending way because I'm not the greatest expert in the world. But all I know is that when he plays, he gives us so much more energy. When he when he's not playing, the team is so much slower. And whether he's got any own product or not, I mean, there, there was that, I, I don't know if you guys saw it on Twitter, there was some Charlie who basically said, oh, um, there was a screenshot of against Everton when he was on the left-hand side of the area, Matthew Harding end, and Giroud was um, unmarked in the middle and, and Mason had a shot which was off balance and went off. And he's saying, you see, this is why he's no good because he should have squared it to Giroud. Well, it, you know, you can't take a screenshot in isolation and say he should have done that. The ball was coming across him at speed and he took a shot because he likes scoring and he does shoot. And we, we, ha- we have enough to say about people who don't shoot and the fact we don't have enough shots on target or, you know, from outside the area. So I, I'm a huge Mason Mount fan. Uh, mate, that's difficult to say. I couldn't say that. Mason Mount fan. <laughs> um, I, th- I think he's fantastic. And I think we are a better team with him in it than out of, out of it. Too right. I mean, where do you stand on, on Barkley and also Mason Mount, Joe? Yeah, I I'm pretty much largely agree with Clayton. Um I think Barkley for me is is he's kind of, you know, what he is always to me is I think he is the the sort of benchmark for a really solid squad player for a, a team that wants to to sort of compete in the Premier League, you know. He he has these moments where he comes in and plays well as as, as Clayton alluded to there have been times certainly this season where I I question whether he's he's sort of completely there, you know, in terms of the game and his general performance, but I think you know he's another player that benefits from from the, the the kind of style of play when we play quicker. You know, if you look at his best performances, it's generally when we've <clears throat> we've tried to adopt a, a playing style which kind of you know plays to his strengths, which is you know get him the ball in space, let him drive, let him try and pick passes out, rather than you know kind of get into the final third where they've got ten men behind the ball and then give him the ball and expect him to play a you know a kind of Iniesta-esque or Javi-esque kind of one at one in a million pass to to whoever the centre forward is to to score. So. I think he certainly benefits from from the the, the kind of the, the the change of style. Um, but you have to you know have to give it to him. You know he has stepped up when we've needed someone. Certainly a more senior figure in that midfield area. You know he was the kind of the and it's a bit weird to say Russ Barkley, but he was the old boy. You know sort of in the midfield for for the past couple of games. I think he has stepped into that space. Um, I certainly think that he's he's played well and, and should continue to to keep the shirt. Um, but I, I generally think that that he. You know, if if we're playing in a system that gives him the the, the space and gives him the ball uh, in, in in better areas, that he's certainly more effective. Um, and in terms of Mason Mount, I mean, again, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to get into sort of the the whole sort of football Twitter weird side, you know, where they kind of put red crosses on people's faces and then all this sort of strange stuff happens over the next few weeks, etc. But I think certainly one of the things that's that's interesting to me is that positionally, when he is playing deeper and more of kind of a, a true central midfielder. I think that that is his best position. I think he even said so after the game. You know, I don't think necessarily that he is a traditional number 10 or a traditional attacking midfielder in the sense that, you know, a little bit like when Oscar used to play there, you know, he'd, he'd have games where he'd score and be creative and other games that he would just sort of press and be and look busy and, and, and have that sort of energy about him. But I think when, when Mount plays deeper, you know, he has that ability to arrive in the air and you could see certainly for the goal and then obviously the... I think the chance that he had before the goal, the volley that the, the keeper did well to save, I prefer him arriving late into the area, a little bit more like Lampard, you know, Definitely. than actually being being in there ahead of the play. I think he's got that ability. And, and certainly, you know, I think the, the last couple of games, and actually earlier in the season when he's come in and I think Kante got injured in the game and he came in and played in midfield, I think those have been 
you know, ignore kind of all the goals and assists. I think in terms of pure performances, I think those have been his best. And I think he gives us a great option going forward, particularly, you know, given the sort of injuries that we have at the moment. And I certainly think he's he's more effective in those positions. And, and you know, then you're, you're not kind of solely judging him on, on goals and assists. You're actually looking at his overall game. And I think his overall game in the past two outings, certainly back-to-back, has been very, very impressive. No, I to- totally agree, Joe. And I, and I think that... I mean that that for me is the interesting thing about that midfield, the one that was played, uh, you know, on Saturday, or even Sunday, in fact, uh, against Everton, where you had you know Billy Gilmore, who you know can be can be more of a, a shield for the back four, although you know he pings the ball forward and 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 get gets forward and gets it forward. Uh, Barkley, I think, you know, more of a creative number ten type player who can buzz around the forwards and, and create and put in that final pass as he did. I mean, it was a great ball for William for that goal. And then you've got Mason Mount, who I, th- I agree with you. I think, you know, he, he, he is not going to be the next Frank Lampard, but I think there are elements of, ga- of his game which are Lampard-esque. And I think coming from deep and arriving, <laughs> arriving in the area is an absolute strength. And he has an ability to get up and down the pitch like nobody else in that team. So I think it was a really interesting... That's why I think it was such an interesting combination in that midfield kind of almost offers you everything that you need in a midfield, particularly with a with a striker like uh, like Giroud, who is not that mobile and who needs quick support, which I think is what, what Barkley certainly and uh, Mount were able to give from midfield, as well, of course, as, as William and Pedro, who are buzzing around as they always do. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, who'd, be a, who'd be a Chelsea manager eh, with all these decisions to make? Um, right, we're going to move on to part two in a sec, and we're going to talk about Kepa, not just to keep Clayton happy, but I know it will. Uh, we will also talk about William, Pedro and Giroud. Uh, a quick shout out to Angerin and Broja because uh, Joe will know more about them than any of us. Uh, and also about Tammy Abraham's contract negotiations and what's going on with all that. But before we do that, just a quick reminder about the Chelsea special uh, podcast stroke interviews that I do with the uh, the inimitable Martin King. Uh, we've got a whole stack of them up there at the moment. Uh, interviews with Kerry Dixon, Bobby Tambling, Chopper Harris, Tommy Baldwin, Johnny Boyle, Johnny Bumstead, Gary Chivers, Colin Pates, and Canners, and of course, Danny Eccles-Harkins. Uh, and they're all available at chelseaspecial.podbean.com. Uh, each one costs £2.99 a day on load, uh, which is not a lot of money, really. It's cheaper than a cup of Costa coffee. So there you go. Uh and it's easy to get them, really. You just go to chelseaspecial.podbean.com and you can see all of them up on the home page and you just scroll down and then you click on buy single episode now and then it's yours to listen to forever. Uh, we've also got a website, which is chelseaspecial.com and we're on Twitter at Chelsea underscore special and on Facebook as the Chelsea Special. Uh, Martin and I are, uh, you know, just having a quick breather really between doing because it takes a lot of work to kind of organise these and track these people down and interview them. But we have a whole list of more to come so hopefully uh before the end of the season we'll have a few more out there for you to listen to but they're great i mean they really are fun i mean i think the fact that martin and i know our onions uh means we get on pretty well with these guys so they're a bit more revealing than they would normally i mean the one with canners i mean obviously canners is an old mate of mine now and i would say it's probably the most forthright honest and and actually very moving heartwarming interview that he's ever done i mean it, it it's long two and a half hours blimey uh but it's uh it's absolutely gold dust he's on brilliant form in that so do check him out uh and uh, enjoy them that's the main thing right we'll be back after the break real fans real opinions 
I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper Chelsea. Footballfancast.com Right, welcome back. This is, of course, the Chelsea Fancast. Mersey Beaton, 495 is the episode, and I've got the lovely Clayton Beerman with me. Hello. And uh, Mr. Joe Tweets. Evening, Chich. There we go. Lovely to have you both together, actually. It's been a while. Um, right, uh, we're talking about the Chelsea-Everton game, obviously. Um, now, uh, we've been really, you know, bigging up Billy Gilmore and his role in really making the defence and attack work so much better than it has done uh, recently. Um, and, of course, you know, that's two clean sheets in a row uh, against Liverpool, who've been scoring freely, and Everton, who've not been too shabby on that front. Uh, and, of course, both games um, resulted in Mr. Kepa Arithabalaga, the much maligned Kepa Arithabalaga, coming back into goal. And I thought he did well in both of them, actually, to be fair. Uh Clayton, does this mean Kepper is back for good? Has he sat on the naughty step long enough? Has it done him some good? Um, I hope he's back for good. Um, I'd, I'd firstly like to say well done, Willie, uh, because I'm not his greatest fan, um, but I thought he did okay in in the games that we played. I can't can't fault him for anything. I mean, he let in a fair amount of goals, but our defence was not um, at its best during those games. Um, he played very well against Tottenham, I seem to remember. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm delighted he's back. And, and I, I thought it was very interesting, the crowd reaction and his reaction after he made the triple save against Liverpool. Um, the, his, the emotion all came out after that, it was like, right, okay, I'm back. I am a decent keeper, and I'm going to show you he's a decent keeper. Um, I have tried the whole time to defend him, as you know, um, and I appreciate you taking the piss out of me in the last fan cast, but that's because I can't type. <laughs> um, <laughs> the the as, as I said, he hasn't made any clangers. He's not made any mistakes that have led to goals as the statistics proves, but his shot to save ratio has been awful. Um, I don't think he's the best goalkeeper in the world, but I don't actually think it's as bad as people have made out. Um, I think his confidence was pretty shot. I think, yes, he could have done better. I think he was better last season. Um, I don't think he's had a great season. Um, I think that playing behind a defence that's no good and changes every week is of no use to a goalkeeper whatsoever. Um, I'd like the club to stick with him. Whether they will or not, I don't know. Um, I think it was a very bold move by Frank um, because I'm sure that it would have really hacked off the powers that be that their £70 million investment was sort of diminishing by the minute. Uh, when he sat on the bench. Um, I I just think in the Liverpool game, he had lots to do. And apart I mean, obviously the triple save gave him a lot of confidence. And after that, you could see he was coming for the ball. He was coming for uh, crosses and he was punching the ball. Um, And it gave him confidence. Now on Sunday, he didn't actually have that much to do. 
Um, he still came for some crosses when he had to, and he made quite a brave save um, right at the end when Everton really should have scored, but he actually did very well. So is he back? I think he's back. I think Frank's made his point. I think Kepa's taking his punishment um, uh, and we move on. Whether he is there for the long run, I don't know. I think it will depend very much on how the season ends and and whether the club... I, I, I think the point is if the club can get good money for him, I think they'd sell him because I, I, I don't think if, it, if you're Frank Lampard, whatever he was doing with dropping Kepa and making a point or whatever, you don't do that. Um, you know, the, the David De Gea has had some, some real horror shows this season, but Manchester United haven't dropped him. Um, other keepers have, have had dodgy times and they're not been dropped. So I think there is more to it than um, just a little bit of dissatisfaction. I think Frank will probably try and change keepers in the summer. You really, you really think that that they're going to try and let go of him? I think if they can get money for him, decent money, and get a lot, I, I think if, if they consider they can get near to the seventy million for him, then I think they will. But I think if if they, I don't think they take a huge hit on him, to be perfectly honest. And I don't think he's that bad. And I think if we get the defence sorted out and the midfield in front of the defence sorted out. Um, you need to give him that chance because I think he's a decent goalkeeper. I mean, you know, the bottom line is he's Spain's number one. Um, and, and he's still young, Clayton. I mean, he's not the finished article by a long stretch. Absolutely not. And, and basically, I think the, perhaps the problem is, ironically, is that he did too well last season. Mm. You know, because normally it's, a, it's the other way around. He's having his first season this season. Because I think he was, I think he was a lot better last year. Certainly with his distribution, his distribution last year was excellent. This year it's been questionable. But I, I, I mean, I'm still surprised. I mean, you know, if he if he plays brilliantly for the rest of the season and looks like a real worldy keeper, I, I don't think they will sell him. But I mean, more to the point, Joe, and I think this is the interesting thing that that uh, Clayton's alluding to there. I mean, the reality is we don't know what's gone on. There were rumours that. You know, he'd, he'd, he'd fallen out with his girlfriend, which was affecting him. Um, I think being exposed and, and made to look really vulnerable in front of the defence, nay, the midfield, nay, the attack not defending as a team very well, clearly would have shaken his confidence. And he's he is still young. And I also think, and I, I wonder if this is an issue as well. I mean, I, the, the one issue I've got against him, Joe, is, and I mean, maybe, maybe it's because I'm an old git, and I see things through a pensioner's bloody spectacles. But for me, I like a keeper who is big and commanding and who can go in and clear, uh, a, you know, clear an attack out. And Kepper, I don't think, is necessarily that keeper. But, you know, it doesn't mean he's not a good keeper, does it? I think that that probably is, is kind of the camp that I'm in. I, I think that there is certainly a difference between goalkeepers who are good and then good Premier League goalkeepers. You know, the Premier League is a little bit special when you look at Europe in terms of physicality, number of crosses you have to deal with, um, generally sort of some of the slightly more agrarian approach when it comes to set pieces and things of that nature. And I think my, my biggest criticism of him has always been is, is that uh, certainly, again, I, I'm by no means a, a massive uh, kind of analyst when it comes to goalkeepers, but I, I just feel that sometimes he's far too rooted to his to his, his penalty spot. And there are definitely opportunities where 
you know, I look at even going back to <clears throat> Courtois when Courtois was here on his prime, he would come out and and claim things. I mean, we, we don't have to discuss Petr Cech or anyone like that, but but Courtois kind of height and size, and, and when he was on his game, you know, coming out and claiming crosses and, and commanding his area, and I think. Kepa's reluctance to to do that at times has been the the thing that I think makes you the most nervous about him. And, and certainly, you know, when you analyse our, I think our, our general kind of weakness when it comes to defending kind of set pieces and, and crosses and things of this nature, I would say certainly from a, an opposition standpoint that if that if I knew um, that a goalkeeper was reluctant to come for crosses, that I would tell any of my players who are delivering set pieces or my wide players to to take far more chances in terms of where they're delivering the ball. So. You know that that uh, football cliches area, the corridor of uncertainty between you know the the six yard end of the edge of the six yard box and the and the goal line itself. I mean, typically, if you put a ball in there, for a Premier League goalkeeper is going to come out and claim it nine times out of ten, or at least you know come out and and make it difficult for players to get there. But if you watch so many of our goals this season, the the thing that's always surprised me is that the commentators have always praised the delivery. Oh, you know, it was a great ball. It was this, that, the other. I, I think that, that teams have kind of cottoned on to the fact that he doesn't come for the ball. And in fact, actually now, instead of playing a slightly more angled ball kind of around the penalty spot and that kind of area, they're telling players to whip the ball into that kind of six-yard corridor um, and, and knowing that Kepa won't come for it. And then you have this uneasy relationship between your centre-backs and the goalie and we're not the biggest team as well. So it's, it's this kind of sort of triangle of uncertainty. And I think a lot of that has actually fallen back on him um, you could you could argue, I think certainly that the defenders that we have should probably be doing a little bit better in aerial duels. But personally, it comes from comes from the goalkeeper. So the thing that I, I want to say in, in kind of defence of what I'm saying is I think certainly the last two games, even when he's coming out now, I've seen him come out and, and punch things. I've seen him come up and be a lot more aggressive when it comes to, to crosses. So maybe he's just needed some time away mm. you know, from the spotlight to actually say, OK, you know, if I want to be a successful Premier League goalkeeper, what do I need to work on? And for me, it's it's the commanding presence. It's coming to the things, even if he's not six foot six, you know, like Courtois and, and can pluck things out of the air, you know, 12 feet in the air. Now, if he can come out and be aggressive and use his athleticism, spring, punch, clean people out, be more aggressive, then then automatically, I think that changes how teams start crossing the ball against us. Because if, if you know all of a sudden now Kepa's going to come out and punch it, then, you know, you're not going to start trying to play risky crosses into the area or, or take you know, kind of take liberties in terms of your delivery. You're going to start putting it back to the penalty spot and then your centre-backs are a little bit more comfortable. They don't have to deal with, you know, so many people crowding the, the kind of penalty box and stuff like that. So it's going to be interesting, I think, in the summer. I'm, I'm certainly leaning to, to Clayton's assessment. I think if the club can recoup um, sort of the money that, that they've invested in, and I think at the moment with I'm going to bore people with amortisation and stuff like that, but it'd probably be around about 40, 45 million pounds they, they could sell him for, um, given what they've paid off of him already. Um, you know, I think that they probably would take it and look to look to go in a slightly different direction. Um, but it really depends. If if we see him improve for the rest of the season and start coming out and claiming crosses, I mean, the triple save against Liverpool was fantastic. You know, more of that kind of stuff, more being more aggressive, being more assertive, um, then that could change things. But I think at the moment, you know, if you're looking at, at going out and buying a an above average to good goalkeeper in terms of Premier League standards, I think that that would improve us uh, certainly defensively. And, you know, you don't want to be in a position when you've got a £70 million asset who is seen as a liability and seen as someone potentially that, that uh, is not going to benefit the team. Well, it's interesting stuff, Joe. I mean, Clayton, I, I, you could say that actually, you know, Frank's done a good job managing him, really. I mean, I, I, I think you do urge the fact that maybe it was a bit rotten to drop him, but... I mean, the reality is, why should he be any different from a striker who's not scoring goals or a, or a defender who keeps getting sent off or, or, or making errors, you know? And maybe maybe he needed 
time out of the the spotlight, you know, because he he was getting a lot of heat on him. I mean, all these, uh, you know, statistics coming out about his shot to save ratio and all of this kind of thing. I mean, ultimately, if he if he wants to play for Chelsea, if he wants to be there, he he has to improve and he has to be bloody good. And you know, if Frank's dropped him and given him a kick up the arse, but also put an arm around him and and said, look, you know. This is what I need you to do. This is where I need you to improve. If you do that, and you do that for me, you're my keeper. Maybe maybe it's good management. Yeah, I mean, there is that aspect. I mean, as I say, his, his body language um, against Liverpool was fantastic. Yeah. From minute one. I mean, even before he touched the ball, even before he made a save, when he came out, um, he, he basically looked up for it. And... Um, as the game went on and he, he not only made that triple save, he made a couple of other really decent saves and goalkeeping. I mean, I know that any, any position is, um, is subject to confidence and, and knowing you're doing well, but goalkeeping, I think, I mean, I don't know cause I never played goalkeeper is, is, is more about confidence than anything else because these guys have all got the ability. They can all do it. You know, some are better than others, but ultimately they can all do it. When you start losing your confidence as a goalkeeper, you you just can't do anything and you've got nowhere to hide. If you lose your confidence as a midfield player and you lose the ball, so what? You know, if you lose your confidence as a striker, you miss a couple of open goals, so what? If you lose your confidence as a goalkeeper, you're buggered and and your team's buggered and it it permeates through to the defence. And it, it makes everything unsteady. So if the defence doesn't have confidence in you and you haven't got confidence in the defence, it's it's a spiral. It's a downward spiral. Now, um, what Joe was saying about him coming out and, and being more um, commanding in his area, I completely agree. But I, I go back and I always have this, this comment, is that goalkeeping's changed. Goalkeeping has changed so much in the last 10 years not only the sort of playing out, but also the, the commanding of your area. Now, I, I'll, ask, I'll ask a question. Name me one goalkeeper who basically commands their area anymore. They don't. They don't come for crosses. They, every now and again, they will come for a cross. Um, David Haya doesn't come for crosses. He is, he is also rooted to his line. There is a... And I don't understand the whole thing but this is my perception is how goalkeepers are being trained now it's the fact that their job is basically to shot stop and not do very much else because the other stuff is being dealt with by the defenders or should be dealt with by the defenders and this is perhaps where our problem is when those balls that Joe's describing are coming in for example the goal that we conceded against Newcastle you know that should have been defended. That that you know, Rudiger got beaten. He should never have got beaten. You know, and and Kepper basically concedes that goal with perceptive weak hands. But it's a header from six yards out. If you make the save, it's a great save. If you don't, you look you know you look bad. But but the point is that no goalkeepers are coming for crosses in the way that they did five ten years ago, and. I remember even when Thibaut first joined us, and Joe, Joe mentioned this, he came for crosses. And I remember Gary Neville saying, isn't it fantastic to see goalkeepers coming for crosses? Isn't it great? 
By the time Thibaut left us, he wasn't coming for crosses. I, I, I remember, I can't remember what game it was, but I think, I'll tell you what game it was. It was an Arsenal away game and the ball had come into the area and Gary Cahill was screaming for Thibaut to come and Thibaut didn't come. He just stood there on his line. I, it's coaching. It, it has to be. I mean, Joe has more contact with coaches than, than well, I have no contact. Um, but I can't see it any other way, to be perfectly honest, because it, it can't be a coincidence that keepers are, are just not coming anymore. It's an interesting point, Clayton. I mean, really, really quickly to follow up on that. If you ever see any goalkeepers training on YouTube clips from Chelsea, it can be any, any club that, that posts footage on YouTube. All of the drills are shot stopping related. They're all these, you know, these kind of random walls and and quick, you know, quick reactions going from one post to the other, making saves. I've never seen um, any goalkeeper footage, certainly at Chelsea, but I mean, certainly in Premier League. If I watch, you know, United clips of De Gea or Allison or whatever, I don't see them just defending crosses. And even actually, I go back a, a long time ago, watching watching the goalkeepers warm up at Chelsea. I'm not even sure they do that thing where they they would have the you know, the, the sub-goalie pretend to be a centre-forward or Lolishon would pretend to be a centre-forward with Czech and they would put crosses in and Czech would come out and, and claim them, you know, in the warm-up. That, that seems to have stopped. So I think it could be, it could be a very good point that actually coaching is, is kind of removing either some of the natural instincts that players have to come and claim the ball or it's just not something that, that they're working on and they're expecting their, their centre-backs to, to deal with the ball because I certainly cannot remember, you know, watching any England training footage or any Chelsea training footage where goalkeepers are specifically working on, you know, coming and claiming a ball out on the penalty spot. Mm, interesting stuff. Um, well, I mean, you know, at the moment he's in possession, so let's hope he uh, he carries on. Although I have to say, I, mean, I agree with you about this whole coaching thing. I, it just goes to show how little I... The, the, the more... Uh, the older I get, the less I understand about football. But there you go. What's, what's, <laughs> what's new? Um... Right, I just want to move this on, actually. I mean, we were talking about strikers, and I, I think another thing that's perhaps gone on under the radar is how well Olivier Giroud has done since he's come back in. And uh, God love him at his age with his marvellous beard and beautiful hair that he's done so well. And, uh, you know, you, you can't beat uh, a bit of experience up front and his ability to hold up the ball and allow the other players to play around him. And, and of course, that's the beauty of Olivier Giroud. Really delighted to see him roll back the years and score a goal. Uh, but actually, I thought he was also ably assisted by William and Pedro. And it, the thought occurred to me, Clayton, you know, with all the excitement that we've had throughout the season about the youngsters and, you know, the likes of Pulisic and Hudson-Odoi, who are both in emergency ward 10, uh, it's these old guys that actually prove that they can still do it, you know. And, I mean, Pedro, I thought, was fabulous against Everton. He just buzzed around everywhere like the little terrier he is. It's really really funny. Just a quick anecdote. I can't remember which game it was now, but clearly Pedro was having a stinker. And my, my, uh, my, my little nephew, Sasha, who, of course, I, I took to his first game this season, he now texts me during the games. And... Uh, you know, he was he was moaning about Pedro, and I said, "Yeah, don't be so harsh on Pedro. Look, look at what he's won." And I kind of texted him the photo of every single trophy that he's won. And he was astonished; he didn't couldn't believe how much he's won. So this is a guy who was a brilliant player in his day. Um, but the reality is, Clayton, they're all probably going to go, aren't they? In in the summer, I mean, William uh, is holding out for a three year contract that he's not going to get, so he, he's definitely off. I would have thought, and I would imagine both the other two are as well. Uh, you know, is this a good thing or not? I think it's really funny, actually, and, and I'd be very interested in, in what Joe's got to say about this. But I, I always perceive that 
there are certain players who need to play. And when they come on as substitutes, they can stink the place out. And it's because I think they need to get into a rhythm. Like an oil tanker. Perhaps like an oil tanker, because that's as fast as Oli Giroud can actually turn. <laughs> but, you know, the, the fact is that in the last two games, Oli Giroud and Pedro have just been magnificent. And Pedro is can be so infuriating. I've never known a player like Pedro who can be absolutely brilliant or absolutely awful. And I just wonder whether, you know, the, the fact that he's played the last two or three games, he, he seems to have sort of returned to favour um, a couple of months ago. I don't know whether it's because we're just of the injuries or what have you. But he's obviously back in a rhythm now. And, he you know, you could have so many man of the matches uh, against Everton. But Pedro was fantastic. And the, and the sort of the main thing that Pedro is doing is the fact that he's basically also helping... Um, defend um, and helping Alonso out and his defensive work is, is magnificent. I think there is a good chance that all three of them will go. I think it would be a very clever thing for Chelsea to actually offer Giroud a year's contract because whoever we get in, um, you know, if we get another striker in, you, you know, we you need four strikers and, and Oli Giroud offers something. He, he's not a modern striker. Very few modern strikers hold the ball up like he does. Very few modern strikers. See, the, the reason why Virgil van Dijk is, is basically considered to be a great defender, and he is a great defender, is because people don't don't bully him, don't have a go at him. Yep. Oli Giroud did, and Virgil van Dijk didn't like it. He spent the whole bloody game moaning to the referee because somebody was actually standing up to him and giving him back as, as good as he gets. Um, the William thing, I, I think, you know... The guy knows he's not going to get three years. He knows it, and he, this is what he's insisting on. It's not happening. He obviously wants to go. Um, I suspect it's Tottenham or Arsenal. I suspect it's probably Arsenal because his mate David Luiz is there, although I can't actually see that Arsenal needs him. I think it'd be a great shame if he goes, but you know, you've got Pulisic, um, you've got the guy from Ajax, whose name I can't pronounce, Zayich, Zayich. Um, and you've got Hudson Adoy. So arguably, you could say, if he goes, it's a great shame, but but we've got cover in that position. Um, but uh, the Pedro thing, I, I think, is also difficult because I think if you if you give him another year, if he wants it, or even if he doesn't, you know, he's not going to play regularly, and so you'll get back to that position that he'll come on every now and again, and he might stink the place out. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So, what do you think, Joe? Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting for me. I mean, as, as someone who is, is known for being a, a, a youth fundamentalist, quote unquote. I mean, I'm, <laughs> who I'm, ever called you that? I've, I've been called many things when it comes to the youth team, but yeah, youth, youth fundamentalist, the, the revolutionary, whatever, the Che Guevara of the uh, the youth revolution. But uh, brilliant. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm always ma- massively, massively in favour of having veteran presences, you know, in certain position groups, and and Giroud being uh, perfect reference, and and Pedro as well. I think actually. You know, one of the criticisms that I have of certainly some of our younger wingers looking at Hudson Odoi and, and Pulisic, when Pedro is is playing and firing, just the amount of work that he gets through both defensively, but just the sheer amount of running that he's willing to do to make a chance to to, to chase back, to, to open up something for someone else. I think that, that someone like him is 
is an ideal kind of person to learn from, similar to, to JT coming through and learning from Desai and having these kind of, you know, these sort of key key influences in the squad. I mean, again, you know, Pedro has has got a trophy cabinet, which, you know, is goes, you know, three, four, five wars in his house in terms of what he's won. Having someone like that as a reference point for younger players is great. And I feel the same about Giroud. I think Giroud certainly for me has earned a, another year's contract. And, you know, it's interesting in terms of how Giroud plays because I've always felt that Chelsea... Chelsea, when they've been best, have had this kind of spearhead, figurehead striker, Drogba, Costa. And I think Giroud, you know, obviously, maybe if he, when he was younger, was was similar. But you could see now in his older age, just, just his ability to to bring others into play. Certainly, you know, there are times where we need to play from from back to front quickly. And actually, certainly against Everton, it felt like we were just we could you know you could have kicked the ball within you know ten meters of Giroud, and he would have just got there, held, you know, held the ball up, and then brought everyone else into play. Everything was sticking on him, and. I've often kind of felt that Chelsea have always been best when they've had this kind of striker in the squad. So, you know, and now that he's playing regularly, you can see certainly that there's a, a lot more fluidity in that. I think in the final third, that midfielders are kind of getting in beyond him because they know that he has the capacity to either win the win the header or to hold the ball up and 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 kind of you know benefit from that sort of third man run for midfield. William is an interesting one because I think you know certainly he he seems to be you know very much considering a, a three-year contract from, from Tottenham or Arsenal. I personally think that if, if Mourinho is still at Spurs, then the Mourinho and William kind of love story will continue. Um, be an interesting one that if he does actually go there, the song will obviously have to change that he eventually ended up at Tottenham. Um, but I mean, I'm, I'm less, I think I'm less concerned with, with William. I think he's been a great servant, but I think if I was looking at players to keep around, certainly for the younger generation to learn from, I think Pedro is the, it's the best example, just both from a work rate, but also just, just you know, who he's played with, what he's won, how he plays the game. Certainly for someone, when I look at Pulisic, I can see that sort of similar similar style of play and, and learning from Pedro, you know, when to make the run, you know, when to kind of, uh, you know, when to kind of show for the ball, when to kind of run in behind. All these sorts of kind of intricate skills that Pedro has developed certainly would be great to, to have him, even, even if he's not playing regularly, even if he is the fifth option. Um, and Giroud, I think, again, certainly, you know, a year's contract, minimum to, to certainly work with with Tammy Abraham and potentially other strikers who come into to the system. I certainly feel that if if I was Tammy at the moment, I'd be watching footage of Giroud and seeing how he uses his body. Um because I think the only thing really that, that's that's really stopping Abraham from from moving up the levels in terms of his career is his is his ability to to use his physicality. Um, you know, Giroud is it's probably a little it's got a little bit more meat on him than, than Abraham. I still think Abraham needs to bulk up a little bit. Um but but watching Giroud, how he uses his body, how he can pin centre backs, how he brings others into play. You know, he doesn't have to be the most athletic, he's not the quickest, but he's always in the right areas to win win those balls and to and to sort of contest the the the, the either the, the aerial duel or, or you know, to be in a position to to bring others into play. So I mean if I'm Tammy, I'm I'm trying to you know, work with Giroud for as long as possible to get all of that kind of knowledge from him in terms of his positional play. Um, but those two, I'd, I'd say Giroud and Pedro for me are the ones I'd potentially look to keep. I just think William is potentially being a little bit unrealistic at this point in his career. Um, yeah, you know, great goal. Um, I think he scored against against Everton, but, you know, in the in the context of the game, I, I don't think he was as, as good as Pedro or Giroud um, in mm-hmm. terms of what they were delivering. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the in the summer of those three in particular. Oh, I think I think uh, I think maybe we'll lose two out of them, but definitely William. Uh, now talking to contracts, Joe. <clears throat> there's a bit of a, a, a hoo ha, brouhaha, even going on about Tammy Abraham holding out for more money uh, and not signing his contract yet. I think there's another two years to go before he has to sign it. So we, you know, panic not 
or stress not, as the advert says. Um, but you wrote something quite interesting on Twitter about all of this. Would you like to explain yourself? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to be like one of these sort of BuzzFeed articles, like everything you know about football is wrong. But the, I think the, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the way the way that people view finances in football, it, I mean, again, I, I work in banking, so maybe I'm slightly more privy to the, the ins and outs of, of how this sort of stuff works. But well, you, you know words like amortisation. Amortisation and, uh, yeah, annual costs and all this sort of stuff, yeah, depreciating assets, yeah, but I won't bore people. But... Um, Yes, yeah, so I mean, the, the, I saw a few things floating around, you know, about you know Tammy should accept the, the first contract offer, etc. And I, I thought I would just put a, a thread together that highlights kind of why it it can, and I stress the word can make sense to to uh, let's say perceptively overpay academy players in the long run, and, and really kind of the the sort of the examples here is that people focus so much on wages and the wage bill, when really the the figure they should be looking at is the annual cost of a player. So very very simple, and annual cost is effectively let's just pick some very simple numbers. If you buy a player for £50 million and they get a five-year contract, the annual cost of the transfer fee is £10 million per year. So it's 50 divided by five. Everyone can follow that. It's very simple. And then all you do is add their annual wages to the to, to the contract. So if they're on £100,000 a week, £5.2 million, the annual cost of that player is £15.2 million per season. So that that's how much Chelsea pay, showing their books to, to whoever all the financial fair play calculations, all this sort of stuff is based on annual costs. It's not based on salary. So the fact that you're having academy players coming in now who may be earning significant amounts of money. So Reese James, for example, has a £100,000 a week contract. People may think for, for a kid that's just literally just coming to the side, that's pretty significant. But the way that I'm sort of trying to frame it is that uh, in Tammy's instance, let's say I use an extreme example of £200,000 a week, but maybe 150k potentially is more of a realistic fee. Over the lifetime of uh, if he signs a five-year deal, Tammy will cost the club £7.8 million per year. Um, and to put that into context, at the moment, Danny Drinkwater costs the club £12.2 million. Bakayoko costs the club £13.7 uh, And Batshuayi costs, costs the club £11.3 So there is an absolutely enormous amount of money difference in terms of what a, a player who is a, a squad player or a player who, who isn't even contributing to the club is actually costing Chelsea at the moment. So... Now, Tammy, at the moment, is perceived to be Chelsea's number nine. If he then becomes a squad player, having a squad player of, of his ability who can score 15 Premier League goals a season, 20 Premier League goals a season, maybe, on that sort of money, so seven, that, that figure, that £7.8 million, is absolutely insane for the, the long-term benefits of the club. And all this means is that when we look at this player cost, this annual cost thing, the money that we're saving, so if you look at Batshuayi and, and, and Abraham, there's like about four, you know, three and a half, four million pound difference. If you start taking that into account for loads of different players, you know, if, if Drinkwater goes and they promote another academy player, Bakayoko goes and they promote another academy player, for example, that sort mm. of money, if you pull it all together, you don't have to go and then, you know, build a new stadium or go out and, and get new commercial fees. It's literally just covering the cost of what we pay at the moment. It's just using it in a smarter fashion. So, you know, you can bid 120 million pounds for Jaden Sancho and give him 200 grand a week because you're not paying these these exorbitant annual costs for players that that aren't really contributing. So, the point really being, you know, even if he is going to get a contract and you know people are saying, oh, 150 grand a week for Tammy Abraham is nuts. In the long run, if you if you tie him down for five years and he moves to being Chelsea's backup striker, playing a backup striker in the Premier League who is a good player paying them £7.8 million a year, not having any transfer fees is so, so much more beneficial to the club because, you know, I mean, are, are you are you going to get a really top tier, you know, kind of backup player or, or squad player for, you know, that sort of money? I mean, you're talking about maybe a, a £20 million transfer fee and paying someone 50k a week. I mean, then they're not really going to contribute to Chelsea in the grand scheme of things. So I think, it, yeah, it, it's really just looking at... at at this sort of annual cost. And the thing is now, speaking to agents, you know, they, they know that this is 
this is how clubs are, are beginning to see things. If you look at uh, Marcus Rashford, he's on 200 grand a week at Manchester United. I don't think if we're looking at player values and player contracts, that, that Marcus Rashford is a £200,000 a week player. But that £200,000 a week, you know, versus kind of what they're paying for other players, it's just, you know, it's just under £10.5 million per year. That's still cheaper than Danny Drinkwater to them, you know, to, to what we're paying. So using, using kind of existing squad players as, as a benchmark, even if we start paying academy players insane amounts of money, you know, the, the benefit to Chelsea is pretty significant because the, the kind of the net difference between what we're paying and your costs, you know, if we kind of ship out some of these squad players or players on loan that are never really going to do much at the club and promoting the likes of, you know, uh, you know your Reese Jameses, your Mason Mounts, etc. The, the, the amount there is that Chelsea can actually start using some of this money and actually going investing in really, really top tier players. So you, you fill your squad with, with young players. Yes, they may be on a, a lot of money, but re- the actual real, real difference or the real kind of, uh, cost to Chelsea is is not anywhere near as significant as a player like Danny Drinkwater, as Bakayoko, as Batshuayi. I'm just using those three as people that are either you know, players that have, people have discarded mentally in terms of what they do for the club, or or players that are potentially going to leave and, and have been perceived as squad players. So I get the argument that people are making that you know giving Tammy a 150k a week contract means that you know anyone coming into the club they will want more money because you know they they feel that they're better than Abraham, but. I mean, if Chelsea are going to buy a top striker, they're probably going to be on more money than, than Tammy anyway. If, if we're going for the players that that uh, you know kind of are going to elevate the club to the level that we all want to be at. Similarly, you know, Ruben is on about a 120 a week, and when Kovacic signed, he's not on more money than, than Loftus Cheek. So it's all it's all still relative. You know, agents will know that when it comes to contract negotiations, yes, they want to get the most amount of money for the for the player in terms of their weekly wage, but also they factor in the transfer fee and bonuses and all this sort of stuff to make it slightly more reasonable in terms of the. The expectation, you know, the fact that we're not paying 40 million, 35 million, 35 million on players, you know, 50 million on players that are backups, etc. That is that. That's the key figure. So the, this this annual cost um, figure is is what people should focus on, not focus on the on the wage amount, because the annual cost is is so much cheaper um, than than players who, for me, have have not really contributed much to Chelsea. Um, certainly, Bachelor Y is is a is is the one to look at. You know, if he costs nearly 11.4 million a year. If Tammy costs, you know, if if Tammy's got two hundred grand a week, which I don't think he will have, he's still, you know, one and a half million pound a year cheaper um, than, than Bachelor White to the club. So I mean, it's really just a highlight that you know, wages and people, the the way that people look at wages is is fine, but in the grand scheme of how things really work in football, it's it's annual cost of players that is the is the key thing, and I think people need to focus a little bit more on, you know, tying down a player for five years. You know, if you can't move them on, it just means you've got a very good squad player in the club on the cheap for the, the duration of their contract. So, I mean, it's it's a bonus also in that respect as well. So, what is what you're saying uh, that because, you know, Chelsea, if we can get some of these dead weights off or dead woods off our books, then we can afford to pay the likes of Tammy higher wages, particularly because we haven't actually spent any money on them to buy them in as well. So we are more likely, therefore, to pay him what he wants. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Yes. I mean, you you can pay these players. Um, you know, I think I think people would still, you know, kind of, if you're looking at in just isolation and paying Tammy 150 grand a week, which is you know significant <clears throat> amount of money, people would still look at that and and go, oh, you know, he's not worth that money. But the the kind of the, the thing really is because because you're not factoring the the transfer fee as well because we've not paid anything to push them into the first team squad. That even paying them rather exorbitant wages is still infinitely cheaper to the club. So you know they have more money left over paying you more money to then go out and buy a top player than they do if they were to continually say you know say they, they don't give Abraham the contract. You know to go out and and buy a player who scores 15 goals in the Premier League, 15 to 20 goals a season, probably will cost them 40, 50, 60 million pound. 
you know, in terms of the market that we're seeing at the moment. And, you know, you've got players like, uh, you know, equivalent to what Tammy would be on. You've got guys like Joe Linton and uh, some other kind of slightly more random players that I don't think any Chelsea fan would, in their right mind, want to lead the line for the club. So you have to kind of factor in, I think, to me, that the fact that we're not paying a transfer fee you know, for the players, the actual, the actual real, real cost of the club is so much less by paying the academy players more and getting rid of some of the, the Deadwood players because then you actually can go and attack some of these, these top-tier players. I mean, if Jadon Sancho is you know, £120 million and he wants £200,000 a week, you know, if, you can, if you get rid of Bakayoko, uh, Drinkwater and Bakshawai from the books, I mean, you've virtually paid for Jadon Sancho in terms of the accounting processes to pay for him as a player. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of where you're sort of looking at. So, and that's with Tammy getting the... The, the silly kind of bumper deal in people's eyes. Wow, brilliant and very fulsome uh, reply. Got anything to add to that, Clayton, apart from the fact that both mine and your brains are hurting? Um, I've got two things, actually. The, the first of which is in, in terms of sort of um, money and what Tammy's worth to the club. I don't think a love for the club and having a year's premiership experience under his belt can be valued. Um, that that's the first thing, um, and secondly, Spurs are losing. <laughs> Brilliant, thank you, Clayton. What a lovely note to end this part on. And but thank you, Joe, for that. Uh, as I said, a, a brilliantly uh, worked through argument and uh, fascinating, I have, really, I have really a, good stuff. Yeah, wasn't it, Justin? I have a suspicion that. Uh, Tammy will be with us uh, next season, of course. Anyway, uh, very quickly um, before we. Uh, Go to the next part where there'll be no loo break this week, I'm delighted to say. Uh, anyway, um, Patreon. Uh, if you like what we do, you can, of course, become a Chelsea Fancast patron, uh, which helps uh, to cover the, ru- the cost of running the shows, etc., etc., etc. I have recently been applying the mighty brain to finding things that we can do to uh, kind of, I don't know, give you a bit of kind of, well, I think they called it premium content, which sounds like a horrible, horrible word, but there we go. Uh, kind of give you things that we don't do anywhere else for anybody else so uh, we shall be doing that and I will keep you posted but if you want to if you want to you know donate to Patreon you don't have to donate much in fact as much or as little as you like really Um, it's no skin off my nose no pressure whatsoever but we are at patreon.com forward slash Chelsea fancast and thank you so much to all of our lovely uh, patrons who uh, I love like my children uh, so there you go anyway oh the other thing of course is you can always send us a message on there if you want to have anything uh, uh, like an email read out uh, I, I always have a, a browse through Patreon uh, just to make sure we've got a message from you so by all means send it through there right uh, in the next part we are going to talk about uh, the Liverpool uh, Cup match which we've kind of been dipping in and out of but also we've got this fantastic interview with Joe Carver who was invited by Hyundai to the match uh, to celebrate the fact that Chelsea uh, are celebrating 115 years this very day. So happy birthday to Chelsea, by the way. Uh, but he, he took three generations of his family along to this game, which is absolutely brilliant. And uh, he tells me all about it in the next part. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. When you follow a big team like Chelsea, one of the most frustrating things is not being able to get a ticket for the match, especially when it's away and not live on TV in the UK. What can you do? Get updates from your mates? 
follow online commentary, listen to the radio. Let's face it, it's not the same as actually watching the match live, is it? NordVPN have the solution to every football supporter's match day problems when they can't watch the match live. NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match, and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. It's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. All right, welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast with me, Mr. Clayton Beerman. Hello. And the ever so lovely, and as Darren Mantle always used to say, no lesser man than Joe Tweeds. <laughs> Evening. Lovely to, well, it's lovely to see Darren as well, actually, at the weekend, but always lovely to have you on the show, Joe, and uh, your uh, insight, which we got a nice healthy dose of a minute ago. Uh, now, as I was saying in the lead-up to the break, uh, I did an interview with uh, a lovely man called Joe Carver, who, uh, to mark Chelsea's 115th anniversary which of course as we all know 10th of March is today so happy birthday happy 115th birthday Chelsea FC anyway Hyundai gave a dedicated uh, Chelsea supporter which is Joe and his family the chance to bring three generations of his family to a match together for the very first time and they went to see Chelsea play against Liverpool on Tuesday the 3rd of March in the FA Cup fifth round Uh, and of course ahead of the match they were also given pitch side access to watch the teams warm up uh, and Hyundai has always given back to the fans, just like Joe, uh, who have shown their dedication and support for the Blues. So this was a great way for him and his family to celebrate the historic Chelsea milestone. And uh, he, I was delighted to say he told me all about it earlier today in a really interesting interview, really heartwarming interview. And it's here for you now. OK, Joe, welcome to the Chelsea Fancast and uh, congratulations for taking part in uh, Hyundai's activation which I, I gather meant that you were uh, you you got you got to see the Liverpool match the Chelsea versus Liverpool match what a great match to go to oh it's terrific it's a terrific result as well yeah unexpected now um I understand that uh you were there were, there were three generations of you at the match that's right um it was myself my wife uh, my daughter and my grandson Excellent. And my, grand, my grandson happens to be a, a, a season ticket holder with me. Brilliant. So, how how long have you? I mean, you're you're the you're the kind of the, the eldest one of it, I, I presume. So, how long have you been? <laughs> how long have you been supporting Chelsea? Um, I think um, I remember my first view of Chelsea was was uh, when I was a, a schoolboy, and um, I remember seeing them at, um, in the FA Cup final. Um, and I happened to be in, in Manchester when the final was on, um, in which we drew. And um, on the replay, I happened to be back in London. <laughs> so I thought, one day I'm going to go and see them. 
Um, and I think it was in 92, 72, the first time I, I got to see the Zoom live. Wow. So what, do you remember the match? I remember it was Everton. Um, and I can't remember the actual score. I was so kind of, um, you know, it was a bit awesome being there. And, it, and it's, you know, like with the crowd, the passion and everything. I, was, um, I can't remember. I think it was about 12 years old. And I thought, like, I was a bit overall by it. <laughs> and that, that was it. Did you, go with, did you go with your dad? No, actually, uh, with a group of friends, uh, for school friends. Excellent. Yeah, my friend, my friend used to go regularly there. So, um, you know, and we used to try going to the shed and, you know, sneak around the sides because uh, otherwise we couldn't see. <laughs> of course, in those days, you know, if you were kids, you could just go, couldn't you? And not like it is today when you have to get, you know, tickets or be a member or a season ticket holder. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you just used to go and queue up. And if it's a big game, you'd, you'd go a bit earlier, you know, but you used to just uh, go out, pay at the turnstiles. And um, everybody could afford it, more or less. Well, that, yeah, there was that too. It was. Uh, I mean, <laughs> can, can you remember? Can you remember how much it cost when you first went? I remember paying twenty-five p because that was the that was the child. <laughs> that was that was the child um, fair, I suppose. Yeah, the ticket. Um, yeah, I remember paying twenty-five p, and then I remember like turning fifty p was was like then that's going back to the older then you know. But I think it, the as a child, I remember paying 25p and 50p. Wow, 25p, goodness gracious me. <laughs> if, only, if only tickets were that, that uh, cost that much nowadays. I mean, you, you've, been, you've been supporting Chelsea for, well, I would imagine nearly, nearly 50 years now. So uh, yeah, that's right. you, must have, uh, you, you must have some pretty memorable moments from years gone by in the club's history. Is there any, any particular matches or moments that stand out for you? Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can name... Both extremes. I mean, from from being, um, I, I remember seeing them in the. Um, in, we were in Division Two, one one of the cup ties, and um, yeah, I think there was about six thousand crowd, and it was freezing. Like, I think I can't remember the game actually. We were losing about four 0 I'm thinking, what am I doing standing in the terraces? You know, we're actually freezing, and then that was like the low part, and, and the, obviously the high part was was being at uh, at Munich. You know, to see the uh, Champions League. So you you managed to get a ticket for that? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I've, I've been to to Munich. I also went to Moscow, which was uh, not as good as that. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Um, yeah, no, that's right. And I, I also went to the Stockholm when, when um, Sola scored the the winner in the. Um, Cup. Well, that 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 was very special. I didn't manage to make uh, Stockholm. Uh, I I had to work. Uh, thankfully, in a sense, when we lost in <laughs> Moscow. But like you, I was there in Munich. And I, I've got to, I mean, I, I suspect you and I are not dissimilar in age, actually, Joe. But um, yeah. I, I've got to ask you this. Did you shed a tear in Munich? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, because, uh, you know, being in the romp, you know, like in, in the, the, our opponent's stadium, having, I mean, I've, I always felt that we should have won it a couple yeah, of years earlier because we definitely. had a stronger team you know but being in in the opponent's stadium you know being you know the German and having uh, you know like to Terry out and we're having injuries and you know um, and, and you know we, we didn't have we had Bert, was it Bertrand he had his first Champions League game that's you know, right, and, um, that's right. I think Ramirez was there as well and, it, and you know of course they scored fairly late in the game I think you know here we go <laughs> 
and and for Drogba to actually score, you know, you know that that you know to equalise, that was just amazing. And even then, the penalties were at their end as well, you know. So it, it seemed like all the unlucky things, events that happened to us previously, all came up together to give us a possible result. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's nothing like winning when you're absolutely the underdog and everything goes against you, and it. <laughs> It was incredibly special, and I think that's the point, isn't it, Joe? You know, when when you when you supported the club, you know, through thick and thin, and as you say, you you know, you 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 watched them when they were in the second division as well, and and uh, we were awful to go and see us go all the way and win the the greatest club competition in the world is quite something, isn't it? Well, it is, yeah, it is, yeah, and um, you know, I mean, we we were always an exciting team, whether we lost or won, we always had things that happened, you know, like you know some good and some bad and but we always said we're at the front and, and and there was that kind of excitement that kept us going you know and um obviously when you start winning everything you get disappointed just when you draw you know which is a little bit, <laughs> bit <laughs> <sad>. <laughs> exactly but, but yeah excellent um if you got, i mean you know you got any kind of favorite players when you when you were first going and and favorite players now and any kind of comparisons between them um well, I, I don't know. I mean, John Terry was always um, like like someone you know. You know, you, you kind of like because he was like Chelsea, he was Chelsea running through him, wasn't he? Mm. Um, but I do remember um, you know people like like Nevin um, playing. Um, I, I don't remember a lot of the older guys because you know like the, we were so far away from the pitch in those yeah. days. But um, I do remember like Chop Harris and. I remember seeing it uh, once because yeah, I don't know if you, you probably remember that Chop, Chop Harris from Leeds and Brenner, and it was really funny. The um, actually seeing Brenner take the ball off off uh, Chopper Harris, who ends up on the ground, and um, Brenner is running away with the ball, and all of a sudden he just just jumps clear off the ball, thinking that Chop Harris is behind <laughs> it, and, and Chop Harris was actually lying on the floor like for yards away, <laughs> and he. And in those days, he used to put it on. Um, was it um, match of the day and the big match on TV? Yeah. And, and actually seeing it, it was just hysterical. <laughs> oh, fantastic! No, happy, happy, happy memories. Um, uh, now, I mean, you know, the, I think the great, the great thing about uh, you know going to watch Chelsea play Liverpool um, in the FA Cup the other week uh, was that you got to take uh, your grandson. Um, and so, just remind me who you were there with again. Your wife, obviously. Yeah, it was my my wife was there. Um, she went with me first when we first met her. She wanted to see a football game, and um, I think it was like seventy eight something like that when I took her to a game. Um, and she wasn't real pleased with me because uh, you know you're you're sitting down on the steps, all the players are warming up, and, um, and then they go in. And when they come out, everybody stands up, and and she says to me, um, "When are we going to sit down?" <laughs> and I thought. No, standing up only. She <laughs> she wasn't very happy. <laughs> um, so, but she used to come with me on and off, and um, and then um, my I used to take my son for quite a few years, um, and then we had the spell in the eighties, which which turned a bit nasty and it was a bit unsafe. Yeah. Um, and then um, my daughter started working at the Chelsea store, um, so she came with me quite often, and you know we were in a group of friends. Whenever any of those didn't show, go, you know, she used to come with me. Um, and so so there was my wife, my daughter, and obviously I took my grandson because um, in, he's had a season ticket with me um, 
for the past five years. So he comes regularly with me, and uh, he's a keen football player. So he's, uh, you know, he, he learns quite a lot from actually watching. And how old is he? Um, he's ten now. Right. Yeah. So he was going there from the age of five. Wow, goodness me! So he's a he's hardcore, isn't he? Then if he's been going since he was five, is is that the yeah fir- definitely is that the first time you've all been together though as a family? Um, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, that's right, yeah, because we've always always been in twos, so um, to, to actually all be there was was quite amazing. Very special, I would have thought. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, and um, you know, like even. Um, I bet being on pitch side, that was like quite amazing because I've, I've been there on pitch side before with, with corporate events, but um, to actually be there while the players are warming up and see the crowd, you know, taking out this season, slowly filling up, it's, it's, you know, seeing a, a player's perspective is quite quite awesome, isn't it? So, you had, so, that, that sounds, so it sounds like you had quite a, a special, it wasn't just kind of go to the game and watch the match. You, you were there before and you, you, you got pitch side, you say? Yeah, yeah, we were, um, they took us, one of the Chelsea um, guys took us, gave us passes and we went and um, stayed at the, <clears throat> well, along the touchline uh, where they, a lot of the interviews get to happen. So we were there for about, I don't know, 20, 20 30 minutes while, while the players were warming up. Wow, that's amazing. And Go on. I managed, managed to get a picture with Stanford with you know, with a little kid as well. Oh, fantastic. So did you did you meet any of the players? Did you meet Frank or anybody like that? Um, no, no. Um, we we couldn't really because, I mean, um, we with, with the um, coronavirus, they all under, under instructions not to get close to the fans. Of course, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but we did... Um, <clears throat> the, we, we were quite close to the goal where the, where the, where the goalies were warming up and... Uh, we managed to, to shout over to Willie, who's kind of like, say hello to us. Oh, fantastic. Um, well, there we go. What an experience that must have been. I don't think I, I've never never experienced that myself. That must have been very, very special. Uh, and what, what about yeah. the game itself, Joe? I mean, it was a cracking game, wasn't it? Oh, it was, it was yeah, it was really good. I mean, uh, I mean that was the icing on the cave. <laughs> the, um, yeah, I think, you know, because it was always going to be a... Uh, you know, like a, a hit and miss, wasn't it? We're not quite sure. We were, you know, obviously Liverpool on fire, and uh, we weren't quite sure whether they were actually going to put in all the top players or whether, they're, uh, having lost a couple of games, whether they're going to be looking up for it. And um, but but you know, we we managed to perform, um, you know, really well actually. I think I think we we took the game to them, and uh, I think the good thing was that we managed to get the second go. You know. Yeah, it was a great goal, wasn't it, by Barkley? And of course, Billy Gilmore was uh, making his, you know, full debut and one of the man, one of the man of the match. And what do you, what do you think? I mean, you, you know, you've been watching Chelsea for nearly fifty years. What do you think of Billy Gilmore? Where does he rank? Um, well, I mean, it's, it's early to say, but you know, it's uh, he's, he's awesome. And the, mm. the 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 reason why he stood out to me um, is because my grandson is he's a really good footballer. But he's quite small for his size, right. and he's really skillful, and and he does all the. Uh, do you know at that early age, there's a lot of kids that run after the ball, and there's and you know like he's because he watches the football, um, he does a lot of passing. Whereas you know like pe- people they pass the ball to, they just run straight ago, and he never gets the ball passed back. Yeah, so um, pointing out, pointing him out, uh, putting Gilmore out to to my grandson Louis, you know, so that he. He can see that size doesn't mean anything, you know, and and, and showing him, um, 
you know, forcing him, not just forcing himself against taller players like Fabinho, you know, but but also shouting their instructions to to the captain, you know, <laughs> which is which is quite quite awesome, you know, because he's well, he's eighteen, isn't he? Yeah. So it's, it's quite, um, you know, that, that's that's how you say I'm here, you know, rather than you know just, just sort of shy away and, and you know thinking you're lucky to be there, you know. Well, I think <clears throat> I think all of us have got massive hopes for Billy Gilmore, and he's perhaps just just what we needed uh, in the midfield yeah. right now. So that's excellent. So obviously, you know, you you were all at the FA Cup match. You got Leicester in the next round. So uh, how how do you feel about? I mean, you know, you, you your love of Chelsea pretty much started with Chelsea being in the cup, didn't it? So, uh, exactly, so how, yeah. how, how do you feel about this year? Well, I think um, I think this year um, it'd be nice to to get a trophy for. For Frank, um, it's nice to start on a you know obviously like the fourth spot is something that you know it's, it's good for the club and you know again it's good to attract other players, um, and I, I think we might we might be there or, or close to it, and uh, I think I think we never expected to be in this position to start with at the start of the year, so obviously. It's nice to be there, but, but I think that the fans have got a little bit. Um, having got there, it's almost like why are we doing better? You know, yeah. we, we're kind of forgetting ourselves. But I think it'd be nice to actually win some silverware to start with. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, it'd be amazing. I think I don't think any of us really would have expected it, but that's the great thing about cup competitions, isn't it? You, yeah. you know, a bit of luck here and there, and you never know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I've got to say, Joe. I mean, I, 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 I really. You know, how, just fantastic for you to have three generations of your family all together at a game. I mean, that's for me, really, what football is about. I, I was—I don't have kids myself, but I, I took my 13-year-old nephew to his first his first Chelsea match this year, and and I've got to say, it's one of the best times I've ever had at the football. It's just really special when you get to take one of your young ones to a game. So uh, it must have been fantastic for you. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and um, do you know when when kids are at an early age, um, evening games are usually a little bit difficult, you know, because of school and you know, like getting home and all that. So, so um, Tuesday night was an exception. You know, like there are very few exceptions in the evenings, I'm afraid. But Tuesday night was an exception where they they wanted to go, you know, <laughs> and they were, you know, even my daughter being the the mother, you know. <laughs> Of course, I'm going too. <laughs> oh, brilliant, brilliant. Well, 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 well done, you lot. It sounds like you you really, really enjoyed it. Well, as I said, what a cracking, what a cracking match to be at. I mean, you know, I mean, of course, you will remember. Uh, we've had some great fixtures against Liverpool in the cup, haven't we? In '78 and '82 oh, yeah. and '97. Uh, I, I don't know if you were at all of those three. I suspect you might have been. No, no, no. No, I've been to as many. Well, um, it was, I think it was in '95. I got the season ticket because it was right. getting difficult to get yeah. to actually, you know, get to matches. You know, and prior to that, I remember. I think the previous season, I, I remember uh, th- there was op- opposite the station. There, there, there was a, a tower block, and there was a blue cafe or blue something. Yeah, yeah. I remember, and I remember not not being a you know the, the gate shutting. And I remember running up at the lift or going up the lift to the top of that floor oh, and watching half half the half the pitch against Liverpool. Wow, how about that? Now that's a moment. I don't I don't remember came and I remember it was the game, I uh, it was Liverpool, but um yeah, like like me and my school friends and you know, we just run up the the um 
I think it had this, but we went up to the top floor and over the roof of the shed, we can only see half the, the you know, the, the North Stamp part. Yeah, yeah. And, and that kind of, you know, but, but that's what you did those days. You yeah. know, you just saw <laughs> what you could. Well, I remember, I, I've, you know, I remember, see, you know, you go, you go and look at kind of uh, old, uh, old editions of uh, the big match or match of the day. And, and I remember... I remember seeing footage of people right on the top of that tower block. I know exactly which one you mean. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it did yeah. happen. Well, how about that? Well, fun, well, lovely memory to share, Joe. Thank you for that. And as I said, well done you lot for, for, for you know, going to such a great match. Well done, Hyundai, for sorting it out. And uh, well done yeah. well done to Chelsea on their 115th anniversary. Yeah, thanks, thanks you. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank well, you look, very much. Hopefully there'll be many more times when you and the family get to go and uh, we can enjoy some more great Chelsea matches. But uh, apart from that, uh, Joe, thank you. What a, what a lovely interview. I really enjoyed talking to you. That was, that was fantastic. Thank you. OK, well, thank you very much, David. Uh, well, there you go. I tell you what, boys. Now, I mean, this, this actually, you know, universally appeals to, to us three in particular because in the days when uh, Joe sat about four seats down the road from me in gate 17 he was accompanied by his dad and i know and in fact on saturday or sunday even clayton was there with his son and probably the most exciting thing that's happened to me at chelsea football club this season was the day that i got to take my nephew to his first chelsea game so there is something absolutely wonderful about uh you know passing it down the line and joe who we've just heard from as you as you heard uh, took his wife uh, and uh, his son and his grandson to a game. I mean, Clayton. I mean, y- y- did was there a time when you had three generations of Beermans there, or was, was that not? Did that never happen? No. It, I, basically, um, anybody who's read my fantastic book will know um, that available my, from all good booksellers and the CFC indeed. UK store. Mostly from CFC UK, but Amazon as well. Um, my dad wasn't a. a um, he basically um, took me in the early 70s, probably because I just drove him mad um, and <laughs> didn't really. We went together for a couple of seasons when I was too young to go on my own. And then when I was old enough to go on my own, um, he uh, he sort of backed out and, and cricket was more his thing. Um, but I have um, inflicted. Chelsea on my son um very funny story uh he basically when he was at nursery I think it was about three or four years old his best friend was a Spurs fan and he basically came up to me one day and just said dad um I I just wanted to let you know that um I'm going to um let you know who I'm going to support um Chelsea or Tottenham and I said to him that's absolutely fine Charlie you can Basically, you can do that. But I must let you know that if you support Tottenham, you can't live with mummy and daddy anymore. Now, (laughs) fair, completely fair. He looked at me and thought, am I joking? And obviously I wasn't. And yes, 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 it was child cruelty. Um, But on the basis of um, his young life, um, I think the trophy count, I can't even think what the trophy count is uh but it's certainly something to one um so yeah it's it's um 
it's great. I mean, it's really enjoyable. And to see that I've turned him into the same raving nutcase as my good self is um, is something that I'm really proud of. And because I, I mean, I know you used to go with your dad all the time, Joe. Uh, no, no little Joes around to take. But uh, was your grandfather a Chelsea fan? Yeah, so uh, I am well, technically third generation, but in, in my family now, you've got some fifth, fifth generation Chelsea fans. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it uh, goes back to 1930, 1920, something like that. So my, my family traditionally are from, from sort of south, southwest London. Um, and it, it came from there. So, yeah, granddad. And obviously there's quite a big age gap between my, my dad's eldest brother is 20 years older than him as well. So there's quite a big gap between uh, between them in terms of ages. So my uh, eldest uncle has, uh, obviously was someone who used to take me football a lot when I was younger. Same with my dad. Um, yeah, but it's it's just one of those things. That, again, you know, when you're younger, you have friends who you know, are going to Arsenal and Millwall and Tottenham. And obviously you all like football and you all want to kind of be friends and stuff. So, uh, but I'm just glad that I... I saw uh, sense when I was younger and, and stuck with Chelsea. Um, yeah, I think the, certainly, I mean, people around my age, the sort of guys who are in their sort of early 30s and stuff like that, the, the amount of success that we've seen at the club, you know, even as even as youngsters going from sort of, you know, the, the 94 FA Cup final, which was terrible as a kid, to, to 97 onwards, is just uh, insane to see the, the growth of the club. I think we've we've had it pretty good, that certainly compared to my, uh, compared to my dad. But I, I'm quite proud that at least in terms of every major trophy that Chelsea's won, someone from my family has been in the ground when we won it. So, I quite like that as a as a family factor. Going back to '55, my uncle was uh, uh, in the in the in the stadium when we we first won the, the first division back then, um, and we've kind of continued that on for forever. So hopefully that will be something that continues down the line. Well, there you go. Uh, sadly, I am first generation Chelsea. Uh, my dad let the side down. He was a Portsmouth fan, but he did have the good sense to take me to Stamford Bridge in 1976, and uh, the rest, as they say, is history. This is probably why. I'm so excited because I don't have kids, but I'm so excited about taking my nephew to, to his first game this season. So in some way I can keep passing the indoctrination on. Uh, my wife, on the other hand, as she never fails to tell anybody that uh, I know at Chelsea, in, usually to embarrass and humiliate me, uh, is a third generation Chelsea fan. Uh, and uh, her mother, I know, who I loved to pieces before she died, she uh, she saw us win the title in 1955, used to talk to him about watching Jimmy Greaves play, and I know that my wife's grandfather used to take her to Stamford Bridge in the early 70s on his bike. He would sit her in the little basket at the front of his bike and ride over Battersea Bridge uh, to go and watch the football in the shed end and then uh, take her for fish and chips in York Road. So there you go. So uh, I, I, I kind of basically spend my life at Chelsea really living in reflected glory with all of you proper fans whereas I am basically a Johnny come lately plastic but there you go <laughs> um, marvellous marvellous interview with Joe what a lovely man and uh, what a lovely story as well I love a bit of that now talking about the game itself uh, the first thing I'd like to say Joe really um, I thought that uh, you know again you know, we get a lot of idiots on football Twitter moaning about this that and the other but uh, one of them is that Frank Lampard has not a, got a clue what he's doing I thought he really did prove his tactical nous uh, on Tuesday night. Do you? Yeah, I mean, I think actually you look at this season, I think we've we've probably given Liverpool probably some of the, the toughest games they've had. I know the, the Super Cup, I thought we were probably the better team. And certainly the second half of the of the Premier League game, I, I felt we, we were completely outplaying them at times. Um, I think the FA Cup, FA Cup game was just really a continuation of that. I think Frank seems to at least have uh, some form of antidote for the the kind of the heavy metal, you know, kind of gag and pressing that, that Klopp has, has implemented at Liverpool. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think he, he seems to have something of a, a good read on, on Klopp. Um, I thought the, the setup was, was great. Um, you know, obviously the, 
maybe the, the the kind of deployment of Gilmore and how well he played was 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 also kind of a, a little bit of a masterstroke in terms of Lampard. He seemed super confident in him, kind of after the game in terms of, of his interviews and the, the the qualities that he was saying that he had as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean this kind of notion that, that Lampard doesn't have a clue what he's doing. It's just a, seems to be kind of a the sort of last vestiges of the the kind of the sort of quote unquote sorry fanboys from last season who you know, who who spell football with a U and, and uh you know have, have 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 got you know kind of degrees in tactics even though they've they've probably rarely played or, or or you know beyond the age of sixteen but slightly digressing there. But um you know I think Lampard and certainly you know the the, the kind of guys that he's got around him, you know, Edwards and, and Morris you know, if anyone who's familiar with watching the academy when they were there, I mean, they were so they were so flexible tactically. It's no no real surprise, you know, that we've we've played a number of systems this season. You know, three at the back, you know, four three three, four two three one, all these sort of various different shapes and and things of that nature. They they're a pretty flexible bunch, but I think they've also improved really as the season's gone on, and that's what you can really ask. I think you know people obviously like to make the point that, that Frank is is uh, pretty young in terms of his career to have the Chelsea job. But I, I think you, you can certainly point to growth over the course of the season. You know, how he's he's handled injuries, how he has kind of utilised the players at his disposal, how they've changed. You know, they, they're, they're, slightly, they're certainly playing a lot more direct and I don't mean sort of like Wimbledon direct, but in terms of, you know, being a little bit more aggressive in their passing and, and how they've counteracted teams sitting deep. I think it's been interesting. And, and certainly from a tactical perspective, the Liverpool game itself was was great. I'm, I'm just, you know, happy that I think that we, we at least have a, a style of play or a way of playing against Liverpool, which can certainly counteract them. And it certainly hopefully is something that we can see later in the season because we, we may need to, to go to Anfield and get a, get a point or beat them. Mm, interesting stuff. Uh, Clayton, Liverpool done. Uh, Leicester next. Uh, can Chelsea win the cup this year? Uh, I don't see why not. Um, we have a history of winning the cup when we play Leicester in in a, in any of the earlier rounds. Um, I think it will be a tough game. I think we we tend to do pretty well up there. Um, I don't I don't think I mean the last couple of years I'm not quite sure that we've lost to them I know that we that there was that turgid end of season dross at the end of last season um, I remember Conte won 3-0 up there when I, I was there and then we, we won in the League Cup up there as well didn't we so I don't think I think out of all the teams we could have had I, I don't think it's a bad draw um, I think it'll be a tough game but I, yeah I can't see why we, we can't win it we're, we're basically um we're evolving uh, and it uh, depend on, on many factors on fitness and, and, you know, what sort of players that we have got available. Um, I, I just want to pick up on something that Joe said about the, um, the management team. I think it is something which is, is very much missed. Um, especially I think after the Bournemouth game, people were, were sort of lamping into Jody Morris and saying, you know, he's got to be replaced and you know, what's he ever done? Blah, blah, blah. And I think, you know, the, the fact is that this is a young management team and they're learning. They're learning all the time. They're growing in the same way the young team is growing. And one of the things that, you know, that, that goes unsaid is the fact that without Jodie Morris, Billy Gilmore doesn't get a start. You know, he 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 coached them. He knows, he knows capability. I remember at the beginning of the season, towards the end of last season, when we were just praying for the Sarri turgidness to all finish that, you know, we wanted those guys in because we knew we had a transfer ban and we knew that the only people who could, who could readily coach and introduce the youth players 
was Jody. You know, Frank and Jody. Mm. Um, and and that's what's happened. I mean, on Saturday or Sunday, <laughs> God, we should. Anyway, against Everton, when those two guys came on at the end, oh my God, that was fantastic. I remember saying at half time to my son, I said, oh, if we get a couple more goals and maybe we bring the kids on, having absolutely no faith that that was going to happen. Um, but it did happen and they came on. And much as we talked about Billy Gilmore not missing a step when he came on, you know, when he started playing and looking like he he, he belonged there, these guys, okay, they're very young and, and they didn't really do very much as such, but there were little touches here and there where you thought, no, you know, these guys have got a chance. And and the reason they're out there is because of the management team we've got. You know, Sarri could have been our manager for five years. You wouldn't have seen any of these guys. Not one of them. Mm, yeah, no, it's it's uh, interesting stuff, isn't it? Um, well, you know, why not? I mean, I I, th- I have to say that there are so many things about this Chelsea side that remind me of Chelsea in the in the nineties. You know, when we we would beat the best teams on our day, lose the worst teams on our day, and of course that makes us really suitable as a cup side so you know we, we've got to win three games to win the FA Cup it's very very possible and I have to say if we win the FA Cup this year that will go down as one of the best uh, you know achievements we've made for 20 years I think it really really will be because considering where we were in the summer if we could pick up some silverware this year and finish top four bloody hell that is something um, anyway, of course, there is a chance that it all could go very, very Pete Tong before then, because uh, <laughs> uh, as you've already seen, no doubt, if you've been following the news, uh, Chelsea's match against Bayern Munich in uh, the Allianz Arena next uh, Wednesday will now be behind closed doors because of the coronavirus uh, and the, the, the dangers that that poses. Um, I know uh, through you know through various sources that the, the you know the Premier League. And the authorities are going to be discussing what's going to happen. And there are all sorts of possibilities. I mean, there's been talks of uh, banning the over-70s, Clayton. We just about get under the wire, don't we? Uh, Empty stadiums playing behind closed doors or even, you know, suspending or postponing or cancelling the Premier League this season. I mean, what a nightmare, mate. What's going on? Well, you know, some things are more important than football, although it's very difficult to, uh, to actually quantify that. But... You know, if somebody tells me not to go to football because there's a better chance of me and the rest of society surviving, then I won't go to football. I mean, obviously, everybody um, other than Liverpool fans would like the Premier League to be cancelled as soon as possible. <laughs> well, there is that. Um, but what, whatever it takes, you know, and, and, and may I be the first wag to say, you know, when when we're playing behind closed doors, the atmosphere will probably be better than it normally is. I'd... It's the, it, well, it, the, the the you know the Emirates they won't know the difference, will they? Exactly. I mean, the 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 point is that what's going on at the moment is is scary, um, and and we have to do whatever we can to to sort of you know to to, to help people survive and and sort of you know as a, as a sort of soon to be OAP, well not quite, but you know it's it's frightening. It's absolutely it frightening. It is. I'm sure you would concur, Joe. Yeah, no, I mean. T- I don't really want to make light of the situation, but I mean, can you imagine if they cancelled the Premier League given that Liverpool are so far so far ahead? I mean, I said the, the only silver lining on this, and this is maybe that I have some slightly dark humour, is that if Liverpool do win the title, Anfield won't get their kind of raucous moment and it'll be, you know, three guys and a dog in the stands just clapping politely as they 
as a lifted Premier League title. So, I mean, it's it's a very, very kind of dark silver lining. But uh, yeah, I mean, in, in terms of what's going on, it, it really wouldn't surprise me if after this weekend that the you know, the Premier League is either being played behind closed doors or, or shut. They're already talking about moving the you know the Euros to, to next summer, for example. So it's it's something that people really need to kind of, uh, you know, take seriously. I've seen people making, you know, light of it, saying that it's just, you know, it's just a common cold or whatever. But I mean, the, you know, people are sort of dying from it and certainly, you know, the kind of more vulnerable members of society are certainly feeling the effects of it. So whatever is is there to to reduce the the impact and effect of it, then it has to happen. I mean, we've had in, in Copenhagen, you know, we've had someone in a, in a nightclub over the weekend infect an entire nightclub because they weren't aware that they had it, etc. So it's it's something that, that you know, goes on in every location and, and, and everyone really is, is susceptible to, to getting it at some point. So, you know, whatever you can do to, to minimise it and certainly, you know, I'm not really going to get into politics, but if you try not to follow Boris Johnson's uh, opinion that everyone should just get it and get it over and done with, then I think, again, potentially that would be a, a great thing if we can just, yeah, just to, to minimise the, the movement of it would, would be uh, fantastic. I, I totally agree with you, boys. Absolutely. You know, it puts things in perspective and there are, believe it or not, there are more important things than sport and there are even more important things than Chelsea and people's health uh, absolutely would be one of those things. But uh, I, I mean, I've got to say, I, I have never known anything like this in my lifetime. I mean, I absolutely have never seen anything like this in my lifetime. And, uh, you know, if you read the reports coming out of Italy, and I've got mates in Italy, it is absolutely frightening what it's doing to the population up there. And they're, they're almost on total lockdown now. And they say that uh, that's what's heading to us, that, uh, you know, we will suffer uh, very much like they have and and as will the rest of Europe. But it, it just, it's, it, I mean, I can't even comprehend what it's going to be like. I mean, you know, there will be football going on, possibly. Maybe they'll, they'll stop it. Who knows? But uh, what we're going to do is just mad. Uh, you know, absolutely incomprehensible. But there you go. Let's hope, as uh, as the boys were saying, that, you know, the, the most important thing, of course, is people's, people's health. So uh, uh, the, whatever they do or whatever they can do to mitigate that, I think they have to do. So there you go. We'll make, make for some interesting fan cars going for, won't it, Clayton? Well, we'll be able to do the fan cars. We won't have anything to talk about. But... <laughs> we, well, we, well, there are many that say that's what we do on a Monday night. We self-isolate. That's, yeah. that's not stopped us before. <laughs> no, indeed. Well, let's hope we're all all right. That's the main thing. Yeah, anyway, uh, we're going to move on. We're going to move on. Uh, but before we do, uh, the, the as ever, quick plug for the wonderful publication which, of course, is CFC UK, which both uh, myself and Clayton write for. And I think you've written for the CFC UK fanzine, haven't you, Joe, occasionally? Yeah, a couple of times, yeah. There we go. So we're all CFC UKers. Um, the new one's out, I believe, although as I wasn't there at the weekend, I haven't got my copy, but no doubt I'll get it soon. And uh, if there is football uh, to be played for the rest of the season, then you'll be able to get it on uh, on a match day at the stall uh, from any of the sellers. Uh, around the Fulham Road say, saying only a pound hurry up uh, but you can also subscribe uh, if uh, if you can't get it in person you can do that by going to cfcuk.net so I commend it to you uh, right uh, we've got loads and loads of emails to read out in the next part we'll be back soon Real Fans Real Opinions I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea! FootballFancast.com Right, uh, last part of the uh, 
of the Chelsea fancast tonight, strangely on a Tuesday night, uh, even more strangely without Jonathan Kidd, uh, but uh, serendipitously on the 115th birthday for Chelsea Football Club, the 10th of March. What a fine day in the calendar it is. Uh, and I'm joined, as ever, by Mr Clayton Beerman. Hello. And uh, one of his rare outings, but always much loved, Mr Joe Tweeds. Evening, Chich. There we go. Right, now we've got loads of emails here. Now, normally I would be handing all this over to Jonathan, but uh, me, and, me and Clayton, I, believe, I think I might save your voice, Joe, unless you're really desperate to read one. I'm good, uh, thank but you. I thought you might, <laughs> I might be. Die, uh, yeah. yeah, well, exactly. You know, we've got to be careful about that. But uh, me and Clayton will, will, will carry on manfully, and I apologise to everybody who normally listens, expecting the uh, mellifluous tones of Mr Jonathan Kidd. You'll just have to put up with me and Clayton tonight, but there you go. Anyway, the first one is from... Sue and Greg Droney, as promised from last week, uh, she says, Hi, Jidge uh, and uh, JK, and third man. Well, actually, it's Clayton and Joe tonight. No, JK, but never mind. Your wish is my command, Chidge. Ugly players. But as I love them all, I will call this list the slightly less handsome blues. Basically, she did best-looking players last week, and we said, wouldn't it be fun to do ugly players? So here's her list. William Fatty Falk, 22 stone keeper in our very early days. Ron Chopper Harris, legendary defender, but has a gap in his front teeth that makes him a little sexy. I wonder if she meant a little less sexy. Anyway, Alan Hudson, cultured midfielder, but had a face only Mrs. Hudson could love, and he went off to Stoke anyway. Clive Walker, express winger, who is strangely more handsome now he's nearly 60. No mullet helps. Roberto Di Matteo, brilliant player, who I found more attractive after managing us to a Champions League win. Damien Duff, Irish star, who we love, but in a different way to our partners. Apologies to any other slightly less handsome blues I may have missed. Sue and Greg Droney, Toowoomba, Australia. P.S. Any further assignments, you know where to come. P.P.S. I hope to see you soon. I have to say, Clayton, I'm taking massive issue with this list. Mm. Um, I really am. I mean, you know, William Fatty Falk, um, well, you know, clearly he was carrying a bit of timber, but I don't think that makes him ugly. I don't think Chopper was ugly. I think Chopper was quite dashing in his youth. Alan Hudson was a babe magnet, so I can't stand that. Yeah. Uh, uh, Clive Walker, yeah, okay, he's strange, <laughs> strange, strange blonde hair, but I mean, he wasn't exactly hit by the ugly stick. No. Roberto Di Matteo, I, I mean, know, I, yeah, that, that's, that's the biggest that. one of contention for me. Beautiful yeah. man, a beautiful yeah. man. Um, I mean, Duffer that wasn't. Smile. Yes, the smile, exactly. Um, I, I, I don't see Duffer as an ugly version. No. But there you go. I mean, I, I would have, I would have definitely lumped John Dempsey in there myself. I tell you who was um, not the most attractive man in the world, and, and possibly you're both too young to remember him. There was a guy called John McNaught who we bought. Oh no, no, I remember. We bought, we <laughs> bought him uh, at the same time that we bought Gordon Jury, and he wasn't a particularly attractive man, and he was potentially one of the worst players I've ever seen play for Chelsea god rest his soul because I think he's he's no longer with us but he was not a good looking boy mm, I mean I, I would have, have to say John Dempsey bless him um, uh, you know Diego Costa's got to be right up there uh, Andy the Hutch on uh, Mixler has said Doug Rugby, which is not a bad shout you, you, um, you can tell him to his face <laughs> yeah exactly exactly uh, I don't think I would be brave enough to do that um, but I don't know. Joe, you got any other ideas? Your favourite ugly Chelsea players? I mean, the, the first one that came to mind was Albert Ferrer. He's the only one that I can really... No, really you can't of. say that about Chappie. Oh, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Even the nickname. I mean, I, I can't really think of... But I, I would say, to be honest, I'm not really evaluating them on their uh, 
on their aesthetic appeal. So uh, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll figure something a bit later, but Chappie was the first one that came to mind. What about Alexi Smirtin? Yeah, he, he was. He had like he, he had kind of like a Russian charm, didn't he? I suppose. Yeah, he, he, he was. He was. He couldn't have been any other nationality, could he? A bit like right. the uh, the other one, the other Russian that we had, um, with the dark hair. Just a couple of years after Roman bought the club, what's his name? Yeah, was it Zed? Uh, oh, Z- Yuri Zherkov. Yuri Zherkov. Yeah. 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 Well, there you go. So if you can find. Straight out of a Michael Caine 1960s film, wasn't he? He was the Russian henchman. Yeah, I mean, if you lot out there can think of a better selection than either Sue or what we've contributed, then do let us know. So there we go. Right. Do you want to do the next one, Clayton? Yeah, no, I'll do the next one. It's from Ike. Dear Chidge. I like Ike. You like Ike. Well done. Uh, Dear Chidge, Jonathan, and whomever else is brackets Un, brackets are lucky enough to be part of today's pod. I'm writing a few hours after the Blues' rather satisfying win over Liverpool in the FA Cup. It was a really brilliant game to watch for multiple reasons. Uh, one, Billy Gilmer's Iniesta-like masterclass. Two, Kepa's masterful performance in keeping a clean sheet. Three, Ross Barkley's flashback to his Everton form. Four, the return of Zuma at the back. Five, Kovacic adding another successful, wonderful effort before his injury. Now, while the match was thrilling, there remains one thing continually haunting us, injuries. Along with Pulisic, Hudson-Odoi, Tammy, Christensen, Loftus-Cheek, you can now add Kovacic and William to the list. Hopefully the latter two aren't serious, but I think it's time to put the training staff under the magnifying glass. What is going on with those lot? It seems like the squad hasn't been able to stay healthy all season, despite our standing in the top four. It's really biting us in the ass. At this rate, Frank and Jody will have to suit up themselves. You could do a lot worse than that, I can tell you. Um, one last thing. Can we bring Eva Caniero back to the club? Surely she'd have our players back fit in time for the tough games ahead during the home stretch. Up the Chelsea, Ike. Can I just say, um, talking about Eva, it's really, really interesting that our two um, physios... <laughs> I think it takes something like a an attempted murder for them to come off the bench. I can't believe <laughs> how slow they are. They just and I don't know whether this is a whole throwback to the Eva thing, but it's extraordinary. They just take what next time you well next time we watch a game, um, just see how long they take to come off the bench. It's it's absolutely bonkers. It really is. I mean, I know that you have to be called upon, called on by the referee, but most other teams have got the physios actually standing on the touchline to be called on. Our guys are just sitting there. Anyway, good email. Um, I don't know. It, it does seem a bit of a coincidence that we've had so many injuries. I mean, obviously Hudson-Odoi and Loftus-Cheek are long-term, and so I think it's a bit difficult to lump them in because it's all sort of... Um, based on injuries they had before. And Kante. And Kante. But, well, I mean, Kante was was basically sarried, wasn't he? He should never have mm. played towards the end of last season, but thank God he did. Um, I don't know whether... Uh, I don't know if it's something to do with the way they're training. I think well, they train quite intensely, don't they? <clears throat> it might be, but, I mean, there there is there is the possibility and chance that this just might be bad luck and you know this just happens sometimes i don't know what do you think joe 
Yeah, um, I, I'm not going to say this often, but uh, I saw a very interesting documentary with Rio Ferdinand hosting it um, <laughs> for, with, with BT. Um, he spent some time with, with Lampard. And I think for me, I, I've had some concerns with certainly the, the, the kind of style of training sessions. And I think it was something that, that Rio alluded to when he was watching training was that Frank likes really intense sessions. You know, he was intense as a player. He likes things to be high tempo and, and wants the players to be super fit. And I think there's, there's a little bit of a hangover from the Sarri area where there wasn't much really focus on strength and conditioning. There wasn't a huge kind of real focus on the, the sports science stuff, you know, to sort of keep players fit. And if you go from sort of one extreme to another, which is, you know, a lot of gym work, a lot of conditioning work, you know, double sessions, a lot of really kind of heavy stress on the players to make them fitter, to be able to make them to press, et cetera. I think that the gap between going from A to B has been so big for some players that actually the bodies just haven't responded. I think a little bit, you know, Lampard and, and the, the staff have to take some of the blame because, I, I, you know, you see, you know, players coming back from international uh, duties, you know, having played for two weeks and travelled and straight into some kind of double sessions and this sort of stuff. And, you know, not, not really, you know, potentially how I would certainly design a session for people who are coming back from injury or coming back from traveling is to put them into loads of sort of intense stress and, and make them kind of, you know, kind of train at the, the level that probably Lampard did as a, as a player. So I think maybe a lesson for them next season is to just look at the, the overall makeup of the squad and, and see really if the, the approach they've taken, certainly with the, the double sessions over the summer and, and all this kind of accumulated fatigue over the course of the season, whether it's uh, you know, somewhat more avoidable if they take a little bit more of a, a relaxed approach to certain sessions. It feels a little bit like they're pushing the players a lot because they want to obviously play at a high tempo and press and, and do all the sorts of the modern stuff that modern teams do. But going from a, a system last season that was quite lackadaisical in that, that respect to you know, expecting the players to, to press for 90 minutes like Liverpool do is a bit of a, a jump. And I think they haven't managed that potential as well as I would have, I would have liked to or expected someone of, of you know, Lampard and certainly Chris Jones's background as well. Hmm. Interesting and food for thought. Um, I, I kind of I'm I think it's a bit easy to blame the coaching team. But uh, what do I know? I'm not there. Uh, right. Ollie Garbutt. Uh, Great email from Ollie. Says, hi, Chidge, JK and co. Emailing fresh after the Liverpool game and what a game it was. I thought particularly in the second half that we really dominated Liverpool and for uh, for very few times this season I felt confident we would get the result after going ahead. Everyone had a great game for me but there were a few notable performances. Kepa was fantastic in goal. Not sure if the break helped him but he looked a different player to the one he played in his last game. I thought he had great reactions and also a great attitude which is something I like to see. Billy Gilmore really had an amazing first big game, as it were. He looked confident on the ball, and his dribbling and passing looked effortless. He also, excuse me, he also contributed greatly to the defence, particularly stopping Sadio Mane from getting one-on-one with the keeper. Ultimately, we need to be more level-headed about him. He's a great prospect, but just hope he gets the chances to play more games and can, can put in performances of a similar ilk. If so, I think he could be a very exciting and important player for us going forward. I really cannot emphasise enough how important I think it is for the future of our club that Frank Lampard is at the helm. This is one of the most enjoyable seasons I've had as a fan for a few years and feel other fans share the same sentiments. There is a buzz around the club and even in the atmosphere at games, particularly away games, of which I've been to several. Our away support is incredible and second to none and I feel the players really thrive off of the support they get from the fans. Frank has proven his intelligence for the game with team selections like Gilmore coming in tonight and proving to be incredibly effective. I think his tactics and team selection were spot on tonight and although I don't think they have always been right this season, this shows he has the ability. He just needs more time and more of a chance to shape his own Chelsea team. 
Even if Chelsea were to miss out on top four this season, this would not change my mind. I would be utterly disappointed with the club if they were to get rid of Frank, and I'd like to think that many other fans share the same opinion. What do you guys think? Thanks again for all the hard work you guys do on the podcast. All the best, Ollie Garbutt. What do I think, Ollie? I agree with every single 150,000% of the words in that email that what you have written to us. I couldn't agree more. I think it's it's just brilliant what Frank's done. Bring him, Clayton and Joe have been alluding to it all night about bringing some of the youngsters through. I think he's getting better tactically. I think he gets the club. I think he has its best interests at heart. And you can't say that about most of the managers we've had in the last twenty years. Um, and I think that we are we are punching above our weight and we are exceeding expectations this season. And if you can't see that, then you are a complete nincompoop, Clayton. Not you. You're not a complete nincompoop. You're lovely, but you know what I mean. I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's spot on. I think if the club gets rid of him, I think there'll be a riot and I think there will be an amazing backlash. And um, I think the club do uh, understand and appreciate what the fans think. Um, and that's part of the reason why Sarri left. So I can't see it happening, to be perfectly honest. Good. Joe? Yeah, completely the same. Um, you know, I think that certainly if you see this as like the, the third era under Bramovich, we've had all the money spent. We've done the sort of, you know, the kind of let's comply financial fair play stuff. And this seems to be kind of the era of of the academy. Um, you know, I, I can't think of anyone better to to lead that. And you know, going forward, we have to do things differently than what we've done in the past. And one of the advantages that we have over other clubs is that we have this conveyor belt of talent coming through. And you know, it's 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 not going to be that every single one of them becomes a, a Chelsea player, but if you can start getting in, as you've seen this season, what is it, eight or nine debuts from from Lampard? If you can start getting some of them into the squad, then we can start you know stop focusing on buying mid tier you know kind of squad player standard you know people to come into the squad and start focusing on getting in top tier talent. So for me, it's it's a way that Chelsea can actually re-establish ourselves as a, as a top side again is is by by going down this path and committing to it. And I don't think really. When you look at the the balance of people available, I don't think there's anyone really better to do it than Lampard, and, and certainly the coaching staff that he he has available. So yeah, I mean it'd be be a travesty if they start, if they if they get rid of him, even if they they don't finish in the Champions League places. Mm, spot on. Uh, right before before the next one, uh, Clayton, I need to update you on Chelsea's ugly player list. The people of Mixler have been uh, putting their oar in. So we have a shout. Joe Bloggs is on fire. He says Romeo uh, Petter Barotta. Joey Jones, Tony Cascarino. Uh, I think all of those are, yeah, I mean, that's a fair point. Uh, but my favourite is is I saw Alan May score. Uh, lovely to hear from you, old Bean. I uh, hope you're well. Uh, he says, if we go on personality as well, as well, how about Craig Burley? Ugly on the inside and supposedly knocked his front teeth out with his own knee in training. So hardly Ryan Gosling cosmetically either. I cannot disagree with that. Uh, right, uh, Clayton, I believe it's your email. Okay, this is from Steve Rollinson. Hello there, gentlemen. I've just heard your self-proclaimed rant and couldn't resist penning this response. I don't know what rant that was, but... Um... I, I, well, I, I usually rant about something, let's be honest. Okay. I've corresponded with the show a number of times. Unfortunately, I've been busy retiring and have had little time to continue our correspondence. I'm in Lennox Head, New South Wales, Australia, and belong to a social media supporters club in nearby Queensland. Your emphasis upon the people calling for Frank's managerial head reminds me of my years of following my beloved blues. Since the late 60s, we've experienced so many highs and lows when things have gone wrong after a period 
of heady success, beating the top team and then losing to the bottom, nearly losing our ground and having saved at the last minute. Blooding so many youngsters over the years and having your favourite move on to a hated rival, etc, etc. I'm often frustrated by the response of some fans, and that's in quotes, many growing up in the Abramovich era, I presume, who become quickly frustrated with poor performances, sometimes questioning Frank's coaching or his choices. I find this difficult to understand. I remain positive and enthusiastic for the next five years and believe that with further experience and some sensible purchases, we will be ensconced at the top of the table in the envy of the rest. Again. Your call for patience mirrors my thinking. For Christ's sake, let Frank and Jody bring the good times back. That this show is recorded the day before the Liverpool Cup match is also interesting as you, Mark, Jonathan and Dino speculate the game. Wow, how good is Billy uh, Billy Gilmore? Watching him at 6.45 in the morning was civilised and brilliant. A great day. The memories of Clive Walker match is one of my favourites. I recall Clive had the worst hair since Ralph <laughs> Coates. Anyway, have a great week, Steve Rollison. Thanks, oh, there Steve. you go. Yeah, brilliant email, Steve, and hope you're well and enjoying your retirement uh, in New South Wales. What a lovely part of the world. Uh, right, uh, Jake Aldridge says, Hi, guys. Hope you're well. I've had a wonderful day watching us beat Everton 4-0, especially when I actually thought this game was going to be an issue for us, as did I, in fact, Jake. I know Everton were pretty abysmal, but I couldn't help but feel proud during the first half. With a ton of injuries to first-team players, along with a suspension too, there we were, bossing the show, despite the fact that we had to field almost all of our fringe players. I don't think I've been more at ease watching us play all season. I'm thrilled for Billy, Mount, and even thought Barkley had a terrific game. The best thing is that based on our standing uh, starting eleven, if you could have hand-picked the goal scorers, Gilmore aside for obvious reasons, you'd probably have wished for goals for Mount, Pedro, William and Giroud. One thing I've learned this season is that players need a considerable amount of game time before we can really judge them. In recent weeks, we'd all written off Pedro, yet I think he's been great after a good run of games. Giroud is much the same. After he started his first Premier League game this season, we wrote him off too. Barkley is another, yet he played with such confidence and creativity today. You may laugh, but taking these examples into account, I do feel a bit sorry for Mitchie. I know what you're thinking. He doesn't exactly fill me with confidence at times either, but I don't think he's been given a fair run at all. In fact, I think there's probably not a player in our squad who's received less minutes than him. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying he should be starting instead of Giroud, but when we're 4-0 up with half an hour left to play, I think we should be giving him minutes. I know he loves to hit everything other than the net, but I honestly think he's a better player than we give him credit for. After all, we wouldn't even be playing against Bayern if it wasn't for his important goal on the group stages. Fair point. I guess my point is 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 that if Frank thinks so little of the mixture that he's bringing the kids on instead of him, why aren't we putting the kids in the squad in, in the squad instead of him every week? I don't know if something has gone on behind the scenes, but he was our second choice striker with Giroud about to depart for Inter. Then all of a sudden he's barely third choice now. Perhaps you guys will know more than me. Anyway, the bigger picture is that I'm thrilled for Frank. Thrilled for us and looking forward to our next game. A huge thanks to you guys again. The best part of my working week is the drive on a Tuesday morning when I can listen to you guys, especially if there's a rant to be had by JK. Much love, Jake. Uh, it's a good thing about It's an interesting question about Mitch. I, I just, you know, strikers are a funny old thing, aren't they, Joe? In my opinion, they've either got it or they ain't got it. And much as I love him, I don't think he's got it. No, I agree. I think he's... He's one of those players. I think he's he's got a talent for finishing. I think he's a really good finisher, but his his all around style certainly doesn't fit Chelsea. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, th- there comes to a point where certainly you know you you can't keep 
trying to to pigeonhole someone into the team if they if they're not fitting. And you know, I I still think that he he'll probably go maybe to another club and be successful if they build around his strengths. Just just tell him to focus on you know standing in the penalty area basically and shooting. Um, but if, if it comes to sort of linking up play and being a, a really really top tier top level player, I don't think that he uh, I don't think he has it. And you can see certainly when. When Giroud plays and he plays, the difference between the link up between the the rest of the attack and midfield with Giroud and, and Batshuayi is, it's it's almost like watching two different sports. So you know, I think he'll probably be off in the summer. Um, you know, one of those punts that the club made, which which hasn't come off, but hopefully they'll be able to get some some decent money for him and and, and again look to to reinvest it in someone who probably suits the the style of play that Lampard's trying to to push in a little bit more, someone a bit more physical. Um, someone who can who can hold the ball up and, and score, I think it's, it's kind of what he's looking for. So that's why for me he doesn't fit that. Not that he's a terrible player, I just think that he just doesn't suit the style of play. And what he does well is uh, is certainly less of a, a, a kind of concern for Chelsea. They they need a better forward than uh, than what Batshuayi can offer. Mm, quite right, um, Clayton. I think it was Einstein who said that the definition of madness was doing the same thing repeatedly and expecting a different result, mm. which kind of applies to Michi Batshuayi in my book. Yeah, it's really funny, actually, because on Saturday, uh, Sunday, sorry, um, I said exactly the same thing. That I was well, surprised that he didn't actually bring Mitchie on for half an hour um, because right. I, I do actually, um, I'm, I think ultimately bringing the kids on will benefit them more than, than Mitchie. But um, I just thought, you know, everybody else, who, if you looked at that pitch and you looked at Pedro, you looked at William, you looked at Giroud, um, less so William because I think William's had a an okay sort of season but you know you look at um, Pedro and Giroud and Alonso's to an extent players that have been out of the side who've had a bit of a run and they've turned it round you know maybe Mitchie would have benefited for having half an hour uh, who knows he might have even scored 4-0 up um, I don't know I think it's a redundant point because I agree with Joe I think he's gone in the summer and I think he'll score goals wherever he goes Mm, but not at Chelsea. No. Um, right, last email, Clayton. Okay. Uh, evening, Chidge and the gang. This is from Daryl Middlewich. Firstly, and I won't dwell on this. Middle Ditch. Middle Ditch. Middle Ditch. What did I say? Middlewich. That's I a don't place, know. isn't it? Daryl Middlewich. <laughs> Sorry, Daryl. Uh, evening, Chidge and the gang. First, I won't dwell on it as you've, uh, you'll have covered it. Great game yesterday. Boys were on it from the start, little shaky towards half time, but came out second half and battered them. Overall, fantastic. The real reason of the mail is to thank Stoll for the hospitality yesterday. Got to live in JK's world for a few hours. The supporters' trust and the members that took part in the big sleep out met some great people from Stoll, Beverly and Ed, who I had a great chat with reminiscing about the mid-90s when we actually started to become a force again in the top flight. Also, Paul Hay from the Trust, equally great to chat about all things Chelsea. Stoll's a great charity and I know plans are afoot for this year's sleep out, hopefully raising a lot of money for those in need. Keep up the good work, boys, and up the chills. Regards, Daryl Middleditch. Brilliant. Daryl is a, is a great lad. He's one of my uh, Who Knows Wins buddies, and I, I didn't manage to get the Who Knows Wins thing up uh, this uh, this week because I was up in Glasgow. But, uh, yeah, they basically uh, stole, uh, you know, basically put up as a prize, a kind of a raffle prize, uh, a trip to their box at the bridge. And uh, I know Daryl went and a few others that I know because I think the Supporters Trust kind of, you know, kind of promoted it for them and... Uh, they, they sounds like they had a cracking day. So well done, well done them. And uh, yeah, you know, uh, I think Cliff and Paul were 
on the pitch before the match, uh, presenting uh, checks to Glassdoor Charity, about 13,000 quid, and the same to the Stoll, uh, our neighbours next door, the Stoll Foundation, uh, which was all raised when we did the sleep out back in November, and my back still giving me jip as a result. Uh, and uh, I will long remember Canners waking me up at four o'clock in the morning, asking me who was the assistant manager to John Holland. But there you go. <laughs> Uh, it was great fun, and uh, th- th- yeah, do take part next year, and if you can't take part, do sponsor it. It goes to very, very good cause, and I think the Trust actually is going to have Stoll as their chosen charity, so there you go. Uh, right, blimey, that's whizzed pie tonight. Goodness yeah. gracious me, I can't believe can't believe it's all over. Uh, right, quickly, yeah, we love having your emails. You know this by now, and of course you need to send them to chelseafancast at gmail.com and do it before Monday, and then you might get a chance of having them read out. Uh, and I'm afraid that that is all we've got time for this week. We'll be back next Monday, uh, not Tuesday, Monday. Jonathan and I will be joined by Tony Glover and Martin Wickham. Uh, that's the lineup, allegedly. There may be some late changes, but I suspect Jonathan will be gagging to be back with you, as I will be gagging to have him back here reading the emails. Now, before all of that, we'll be back on Love Sport Radio this Friday, where Jonathan and I will be joining Matt Beadle from 7 o'clock till 8 p.m. talking Chelsea. So do give it a listen, and don't forget that, of course, on Sunday I will be doing the Love Sport Breakfast Show, as I always do, with the wonderful Paul Mortimer between 8 o'clock and 12 o'clock. Uh, it's great fun that Paul basically puts a grenade on the desk in front of me with the pin removed and just waits for me to go off on some topic there uh, there or thereabouts. So it's quite fun. Anyway, the number to call if you want to join in is 0208 70 20 558. And of course, you can WhatsApp that number as well. And uh, Love Sport can be found. It's a national radio station now. So get it on your digital channels or, of course, Radio Player, TuneIn, or lovesportradio.com. And our Friday show on Love Sport is always available as a podcast, as are all our shows on ChelseaFanCast.com, Acast, Apple, SoundCloud, and Spotify, as well as other lesser-known podcast distributors. Now, uh, talking of which, you can also find the Chelsea FanCast and other Chelsea podcasts on the CFC Blues app, as they so eloquently announce here. For Chelsea fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Chelsea videos and podcasts. Download the free CFC Blues app now from the App Store and Google Play. Right, you can follow the show on Twitter at Chelsea Fancast, me at Stanford Chidge, uh, Joe at Joe Tweedy and Clayton at uh, Goalie59 because he likes being a goalkeeper and I'm not telling you why he uses 59 uh, of course Jonathan Kidd at Jonathan Kidd Dean Mears at Dean Mears Marco at Gate17 Marco Tony at Grocer Jack UK Martin at Martin Wickham Dan at DanSilv73 Liam at Liam underscore Toomey and Alexandra Churchill at CFCGWLB uh, a quick shout out for our writers who are at Clitheroe Blue at Dean Mears and at CFCGWLB and, of course, a big thank you to Dane Whittle, who, of course, has taken over the job of managing our Instagram account, easy for me to say, at Chelsea Fancast, because uh, I don't understand how Instagram works, and he's doing a cracking job. So make sure you follow us there for some more good content. Right, uh, Joe, as always, an absolute delight to have you on the show. Yeah, it's been fun, Chidge. Yeah, we'll get you back on soon. Uh, no worries about that. We might not even have any football to talk about the next time we have you on. In fact, the P- Premier League season will have been null and voided by then. Who knows? But uh, no doubt you and I will find stuff to talk about. We always do. Clayton, as always, mate, an absolute delight to have you on the show. Yeah, no, I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, and loved uh, chatting away with Joe. Uh, brilliant, as always. 
great stuff. Now, you go and enjoy your, your meal with the lovely Angela, and uh, good luck with your move, and I will see you hopefully very soon at the bridge. All right, mate. You take care. Yeah, you too. Right. Well, you lot out there, Mixler people especially, thank you for joining us as ever. So thank you for listening. See you next time. Until then, keep it blue, keep it carefree, keep it chill. Up the chills. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.